Welcome to the seventh episode of Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. I'm your host, Liam Edwards, and my guest this week is someone who, when I first had the idea for the show, sprung immediately into my mind. Someone I know who has a great passion for talking about video games and does a fantastic job of doing so. He originally started out on his road to video game stardom as an on-air producer and host at an Irish radio station. At Beat 102-103, he talked avidly about video games and the latest technology which was natural considering he was studying multimedia applications development at the Waterford Institute of Technology at the time. He then moved to London where he worked as a web developer and media consultant, but more importantly where he founded the website Citizen Gamer, a place he could call his own and freely talk about video games through videos, podcasts, and articles. Thanks to the success of Citizen Gamer and the experience he built up, he took up a role as video journalist at GameSpot UK, and it's here where my guest really started to get people listening. With excellent shows such as Bluffer's Guide, Random Encounter, and Escape from Mount Stupid, he built up a reputation for excellent video content that was unique and funny. It's also where as a fresh-faced, excited, and honestly out of his depth GameSpot intern, I first met him. In 2013, he decided to make a big move and set up camp at GameSpot's main office in San Francisco, where since then he's been the producer and host of shows such as The Point, a series that delves into topics that cover anything from video game tropes and cliches to what's been on my guest's mind that week, and The Lobby, a weekly live show where my guest and his colleagues talk about the latest releases and news topics. He truly is one of the largest and funniest voices in video game journalism at the moment. He's Ireland's very own Mr. Danny O'Dwyer. Hello, Danny! Hi, Liam. That is, uh, can you do my funeral? <laughs> <laughs> that was like the nicest thing I think I've ever heard anyone say. Thank you so much. That's very, very kind. And also on a show which is basically about, you know, delving into the the, the depths of our nostalgia. What a wonderful way to get me in the mood. Just oh, to... well, I'm glad I could be of service. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad I could be here. It's a wonderful idea for a podcast. And Thank uh, you I'm so very excited. Much. Yeah, so, I'm I, as I said, I was not lying when one of the when I was thinking of people I could have on the show, people who I knew personally, who had the passion that I wanted on the show. You were the first who sprang to my mind. Thanks so much. And uh, putting together a list was a wonderful. It's such a fun experience of like thinking like what are the games that if I was to go back and say like these defined who I why I'm doing this and like I get why you're doing this because like that's why you're doing this as well the reason why we want to talk about games is because of the games that made us want to talk about games so to talk about those games is like yeah let's do it exactly you've hit the nail on the head it's about the games that inspired us and why you are where you are today you are the person you are because of these games that's exactly what we're trying to go for Mm. it's well yeah it's wonderful and hopefully 
man, I was like Sophie's Choice trying to pick out the, the ones to get in here. Uh, and I'm, <laughs> I'm still not sure about one of them. I'm <laughs> trying to cram another one in. But uh, Ooh, at least ma- the early ones, I'm pretty sure I've, I've got sorted out. I oh, hope. fantastic. Yeah. So I wanted to quickly just talk about you. And sure. since I last spoke with you or when we first met, you have moved to America. And you yeah. are at GameSpot's main office. How is life in America treating you? It's great. It's weird. Uh, I have this sort of, um, it's a, like a split. It's it's almost like a sort of a survivor's guilt mixed with a, a weird, like a sense of urgency about the job that I now have, because this is a job that I wanted to have since I was like 20 years old. And I'm very, very fortunate that after a couple of times I managed to get into GameSpot in the UK. And then I was incredibly even more fortunate that then doors opened for me to come over here. And that's the reason I did it is because I was watching shows in Ireland as a teenager uh, broadcast out of the San Francisco office, which uh, yeah. you know, like, like on mid- the spot on that kind of exactly. Thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Rich Gallup, Jeff Gross. Rich Gallup. Oh God, those were the days. Fantastic yeah, shows. Great stuff. Like the, 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 the best game spots probably ever been like, just like back then when they were such a hugely influential voice, but especially in video when no one was doing video, obviously mm. it's very now everyone's everyone's sort of there's so many people producing video it's certainly better for for gamers i think in, in terms of yeah. choice like back then like that was that was what got me and then to be able to like set up the lobby on the set the exact floor that rich gallop did on the spot on and to like you know be f- colleagues with people like jeff gersman is like just such an incredible honor so uh, it's been amazing since i moved here uh, I love this part of the world. Uh, I've also met like the woman of my dreams. We're getting married <laughs> in summertime, so like, oh, I, fantastic! I feel, I feel very lucky and fortunate. And I think if anything, moving here has made me like dub- double down my efforts to like really, I don't know, do right by games journalism because I feel like there's a lot of stuff in games press which is turning the wrong direction, and I'm I'm sort of like holding onto the wheel and trying to pull it this way a little yeah. bit. Well, I was gonna uh, say it's been amazing watching you like from because i love gamespot as well it's i yeah. had a gamespot internship as i mentioned in the intro it's uh, like yourself i was a member of the forums and i followed them for so long watching shows like on the spot and that kind of thing with all the old guy god <laughs> and that kind of and i i loved watching it and it was great to see you go from like the gamespot uk office which i knew personally to mm-hmm. you know the main office where you had like jeff and kevin and all these wonderful people and you've just grown in popularity since then and over the past two years you've gained like a whole new audience in the u.s which i will admit seems to have welcomed you with open arms you have like quite the fan base over there now i mean i'm an irish guy in america like (laughs) there's a reason why you two are more popular in the states than they are in the uk (laughs) like i yeah i i think i don't know i feel like any of the stuff that i've worked on is this like it's such a like some of the best writing and some of the best videos in games has always come out of the UK and and I guess out of Ireland as well. But like specifically, like there's some all my favorite writers are British. All my favorite writers are most of them are, are English. Okay. Like I look back at I read like Amiga Power and One Amiga and PC Gamer and like all these wonderful writers. Yeah. Now think about television and like really great editorial television about the media like people like charlie brooker like all that stuff it's the britain and the uk has done that better than america i think ever has so i got the opportunity to to live in london for four years to to sort of soak it up for two years and then to work at GameSpot alongside other people who had grown up within that sort of ecosystem and i really think that 
what happened was I came to America and I just had this mentality, which is completely normal to me. And any one of us, like Liam, if you'd done it as well, it would have been the same thing where you, you yeah. would have taken this baggage, this like sense of how to talk to people with you over there. And for whatever reason, yeah. like the point is not that weird a show. It's an, it's an op-ed show about video games in which we don't just talk in front of a green screen. And for some yeah. reason, that is like weird to people over there. Yeah, it's so- really strange. It's almost, I think one of the things I, we are in the UK, we're very comfortable with talking to each other on a very personal level. It yes. doesn't matter what the, the subject matter is, but oh, you yeah, can politics, almost talk to religion. anyone very yeah. personally. Whereas in America, it seems a little bit more distant. Yeah, there's a lot more, uh, I don't know what it is. There's a lot more clanism, and I think it comes from, like, a bunch of stuff. It's a massive country with, like, it, getting into the political aspect of it now, but, like, with, like, a massive difference in terms of, like, classism. Like, here, yeah. lower class and middle class and upper class people live in completely different universes, and often geographically live very far apart as well. Yeah. Whereas, that's not the case in, in England. It's not the case in Ireland. Like, my, I grew up in a town of 40,000 people, Waterford in the southeast. And, yeah. like, the rich kids and the poor kids went to the same schools. And, like, maybe <laughs> the poor kids got secondhand books. Yeah, it's the same. Kids. I grew up in Wales, and it was very similar what? as well. Completely. Like, and I think that's not part of the, the culture here. Perhaps, perhaps, like, having an opinion. Certainly in California, I'll say that. Like, the one thing I was warned when I moved from the UK office to the US one was, they're not, you know, we put up with your Irish bullshit in the, in the London office, but... <laughs> They're really not going to warm to that. And there's definitely an element of truth to that where, like, there are, I feel brash in California in a way that I never did anywhere else I live. <laughs> so there must be something to that. Exactly what you said, Liam, is that people in the UK and Ireland are just easier at, at putting themselves out mm. there and not feeling personally hurt by it. So in a weird yeah. way, the point is like this crazy show and really... Like the points at dime a dozen, you, you think about it in terms of what's on British television or media, you know? It's very similar. I can see exactly what you're talking about. And I can see what you're inspired by. I think with the point, though, it's because of the intelligence you put behind it that you've taken from like very smart British uh, TV shows or writing. Because like even our sitcoms are very smart. Yes. They're intelligently well written and they're not out for cheap laughs. They're very, very clever. And I think that that's what you've done with the point and such a with the lobby where you make people feel very comfortable to talk about games because you're also very knowledgeable so i think with the point is you're making a show that you you seem natural to make like it's very natural to a british person to write something that's trying to be intelligent but just because the subject matters video games it, it it's yeah. a kind of weird clash culture clash almost yeah totally and i i, I i've kind of never gotten that it's like if people want to talk about video games and they're worried about talking about them in 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 the ways they actually feel like it's really strange like forever the like games coverage across the boards like writing perhaps maybe not so but certainly in video was so rote like it was basically trying to do what television was doing like shit television like you know the big <laughs> breakfast or like you know like yeah. news like news coverage and people are trying to cover games like news it's like it's not you need to talk about it on its own terms yeah. and for whatever reason like i feel like i want like, there are people who like wander into different industries at the right time and i certainly feel like i wandered into games thinking why the fuck is everyone covering sorry am i like cursing this podcast I'm so yeah, absolutely swearing is absolutely fucking fine <laughs> why the fuck are people talking about games in these in these such like stagnant boring ways like it stuff was coming across as advertising that wasn't even advertising and i think now like when you go out and you look at like the the big voices out in the games world you look at people like you know john bay total biscuit or, or like yeah. jim sterling or like any they, they talk from the heart and they don't mm. do it from this point of like yeah. 
trying to bullshit their audiences either. And the fact that that's something unique is crazy. And I yeah. think that was that was five years ago, right? And I think today now people have latched onto the idea that, oh, if you want to talk about video games, you can either be like crazy YouTuber, PewDiePie, and do all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Or you need to fucking know about games. You need to be able yeah. to... Yeah, that does seem to be the split. That if you can't be an entertaining personality who likes games, which is like the YouTubing side of things, you need to be the most knowledgeable person you, and you need to not drop the ball because people will pounce on you because you're yeah. in a position that is seem to be privileged almost. Yeah, that's the, the case as well. The pouncing is the other weird part because it's like there are, you know, I feel I feel very, very lucky to be in this position. I also feel like I did a lot of like work and life sacrifice to get here. So yeah. there's an aspect of like, I don't mind people jumping on me when I'm wrong and I am wrong often and people jump and that's fine. But there is this weird sort of backlash mentality that I think also exists. And I think that exists because of the perceived ease that YouTube has allowed people to get into this space. Yeah. But I do think it's overall it's better. I think, you know, okay, I would say that I'm a white guy. So like, I'm not going to call the <laughs> shit a lot of other people do. But like, I also feel like it's better for gamers. And that's the most, the most, most important thing. The most important thing is that video game fans have a media which represents them properly. Yes. And I think it does now more than it did before. I don't think the game's media necessarily is doing that. But I think with the sort of democratization of voices via YouTube, and I'm probably more excited about what's happening on Twitch, I think everyone has benefited from it. For whatever reason, people still aren't doing shows like The Point, so we're still jumping out there doing our own thing. Well, that's thing. the thing I was going to say now. It's it's becoming a lot more accessible and very easy, even like myself. I can make videos now very easily. I feel like I do videos closer to what you make than I would on YouTube. Mm. Um, and I feel like YouTubers can stand in front of a camera and they can be all crazy and talk, and there are some absolutely superb youtubers out there people who work extremely hard and do like the completionist you know that guy completes games every week and he talks infinitely about yeah the game and and that's amazing that's the kind of thing but then you have other youtubers who stand in front of a camera and just talk about the game and be all kind of crazy whereas i think with the point what makes the point special is you go for these almost epic shows they're they're big that's how they feel you you do your research and you you create skits and that kind of thing and and i feel like the shows that you do at GameSpot, the one that sticks in my mind like you did the uh one about no man's sky yeah and you did the world of warcraft 10th anniversary mm. which wow. i thought was absolutely superb thanks fuck all people well okay some people watched it but <laughs> i thought that was superb i i love that kind of that kind of show and i thought that was fantastic and also the, another one that sticks in my mind is the tony hawk point episode oh, that was amazing that was like that was that's another one that probably didn't do the like crazy crazy numbers that you see on some of the the other ones but yeah like what a what a wonderful opportunity to do that like, yeah that it just felt so uh, personal as well which was wonderful as well and like if, yeah and if i think what like ultimately what my role is i think within the game's I don't know, coverage world or games media world. Like if I think about the thing that I want to do more, it's it's more of that stuff. And it's also to do that stuff in light of the fact that everyone else is trying to do it with money behind it. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, games companies are getting PR companies to pay for that type of stuff and they're getting games websites to pay for that type of stuff, quite frankly. And you know what I mean? Like that's that's yeah. that's the way of things now. And like nothing I've ever worked on had any money involved in it. All the Witcher stuff, the No Man's Sky stuff, the XCOM stuff, the World of Warcraft stuff, all of that was done off the back of just myself and Andy's sort of uh, intuition and, and uh, yeah. other people within, you know, Randy and Giancarlo and GameSpot as well. But like, 
I feel like if there's anything I'd want to keep doing, it's that sort of stuff, but to keep it completely free of like, there's nothing more satisfying than doing those types of videos when someone else has paid to do the same videos and your one's got more people watching them and also people like into them and you made a better thing. Like that's fucking so good to be able to make something (laughs) without the money better than the other guys. And we did that with the Witcher. Like that was, that was like such a fucking win. And I think like if I was was to think about what I love doing or what I, it's that it's saving games from this weird plague of paid for coverage, which is fucking killing everything. Uh, And also not just doing it, you know, out of some sort of weird charity, but also making it better than the other stuff anyway. Like that's, that's all I want to do. Like, I think that's, that's probably where, where my passion is more than anything else. Well, I think that kind of appeals to my sensibilities as well, because the content you make is the content I've always thought about making that's the the kind of style i would go for as well obviously nowhere near to the quality <laughs> hey man, I've, got, I've got andy bauman and about you know 10 grand worth of camera equipment don't worry about it <laughs> I mean, well you're, you're right like your technology has been has made it so that mm. everyone can do something at the home. line like, is definitely blurred between what is professional and what can be accessible through you know your iphone or even your headset yeah. that kind of thing Capturing gameplay used to be a nightmare. Like we're gonna, the first game on my list. Well, I used to capture on a fucking VHS player. <laughs> that's that's what game capture used to be, and you yeah. couldn't put audio over. Like it was so so hard. It was so so hard in two thousand four, five, six, mm-hmm. seven, eight, nine, ten, and then it suddenly started to become easier. But then the cameras that we have in Gamespot, they make. They're, let's just say a good camera can polish a turd real good. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Wow. Speaking of games and gaming, we're going to move on to your games list. So we're going to listen to some music from your first game, and then we're going to dive right into it. Okay, Danny. So, your first game on your list for your deserted place is yes. Sensible World of Soccer. Yes. The sequel to the 1992 hit game Sensible Soccer, designed and developed by Sensible Software, and originally released for the Amiga and PC in 1994. Danny, please tell me why is Sensible World of Soccer on your list? As SWAS, as we call it, uh, was... The game that me and my brother played on our first ever computer, uh, more than anything else. So the okay. Amiga 600 was a was a console. The Commodore Amiga 600 we we got. I guess I think it was probably 19. I think it was 92. We got it. I was I was yeah. born in 86, so I guess I was six or seven. And I remember, I still remember the day. I remember going down. It was a birthday present for myself, my sister, and my brother. And they were like six and nine years my elder. So I was the baby of the family, but we had this little machine down there that that was our joint Christmas present. And in there was like games like Putty and 
pushover and Jeff Crammon's 4-1 Grand Prix. Uh, so I don't know exactly how we got our first copy of Sensi. Probably the way everyone got Amiga games, which is that a neighbor had a copy, yeah. air copy or copy. You know, <laughs> There's a lot of piracy for the Amiga. <laughs> totally. It's why Commodore didn't make it out in the 90s. It didn't yeah. make it out mid-90s. So when Sensible World of Soccer came out in 94, by that stage, myself and my brother Alan had been buying every copy of, of Sensi. So we, we, we'd chip in. Like me and my, my paltry pocket money and him with his paltry pocket money, uh, we bought everything. There was like European competition and 92, 92. I was going to say there was about three <laughs> alternate releases with this one game alone as well. Loads. And we have them all. I've got all the boxes in, in my in the house in Waterford. My grandma, my dad keeps telling me fucking bring them over. To, <laughs> but you get rid of these boxes next time you're home, he keeps telling me. Uh, but Sensible World of Soccer was a game that had uh, an absurd amount of football knowledge inside of it. Uh, it was a, first of all, it's arguably, people would say it's one of the best football games ever made. It's, I love that it's called so- Sensible World of Soccer and it was developed by a bunch of guys in England because now <laughs> the term soccer is so devilized. That- it's very strange. I will admit, since moving to Japan, I have to call it soccer instead of football right. and that does each at my skin a little bit totally same it goes problem. against me well for the purpose of uh your american fans who may be listening we could call soccer <laughs> for now let's call it a footy for yeah yes, footy. Footy. that's nice more like it you know what i mean so that i think um i i think it was first of all like an incredible game like didn't change that much from sensible soccer 92 it was still like a very fast sort of uh, one button uh, football game Almost said soccer again. Uh, but what Sensible World of Soccer did was was it exploded the the roster, as we'd call it today, the, the amount of teams mm. into this into crazy territory where it had like Latvian Premier teams and it, it had like Irish teams and it had like five divisions. It did of, have over 1,500 teams. That's crazy. No licenses whatsoever. Like I've since... I'm very, very fortunate that I, I've done a little documentary thing about about Sensible Software, and I've since met John Hare, and I've beaten yeah. John Hare, who's the who is the lead developer, designer at Sensible Software. I've beaten him at Sensible Software, which is like <laughs> my like, ultimate goal in life. That and and playing uh, Monkey Island with um with Schaefer, which I've also done. That, that, that that's not on my list actually. It, it probably should have crept in, but <laughs> like such an incredible game. But it had such unbelievable depth to it like in terms of the management mode which they put in at that stage which you could you know manage teams for for i think like decades it basically didn't stop and you could play the uh, games something like 20 lo- seasons or something it was i think i think it just kept going i, th- I maybe oh, it, i don't know if there was a limit on it but i used to always go for skonto riga there was this latvian team <laughs> who were like so much better than every other team in latvia there's only like 10 teams in latvia but and like eight of them were in riga and then there was like Ralph Yell Gaffa or something, which is this other team. And I still remember like the like the names of the players. I think like <laughs> I think like some of them, like Skonto Riga. I bring them to like the European Champions every year, and then buy Gabriel <laughs> Batistuta, and he'd be. It was just this wonderful, fun, accessible this football game with amazing gameplay depth and depth, and then this unbelievable like, manager mode. And then on top of that, it was a game that like me and my brother were six years apart, which is an awful amount of years for brothers. Mm-hmm. Not close enough to have any sort of real common ground, but this was our common ground. And we would play sensible soccer throughout the nineties. And, you know, he would beat me and beat me and beat me. And then as the years went on, I got better and then I'd start to beat him. And it was a really good, like important part of our relationship growing up 
So for me, sensible world of soccer, SWAS is is one of the the games that made me realize so much about video games, about the way in which they can empower you to like make difficult decisions and the way in which they can you know excite you when the like the 90s minutes is about to come in and also the way in which you there's such a social element to it where like you can have real memorable moments that matter uh in front of a a, a tiny little 15 inch i think crt television is what we had back then mm-hmm. so yeah sense of world of soccer is it's right up there it, it, it may be this is how nostalgia works right 1994 yes. came out <laughs> an appallingly long time ago 20 God, 22, 22 years, years I guess. ago now. It's it's may still be my favorite game of all time. Probably <laughs> the most important game I've ever played. Yeah. Well, I was going to say because obviously we are both huge fans of football. We're mm. huge fans of football, um, and we've seen the rise in you know pro evolution soccer, which was international superstar soccer back in the day, and FIFA. How have you felt the progression from sensible soccer towards the you know juggernauts that we have now with FIFA? Do you play FIFA often? Yeah, I love. I I haven't been playing FIFA very much this year, and I won't say why until later in the list. Let's okay. say okay. Okay. Um, but what I will say is that the reason those games exploded and the reason Sensible Soccer went by the wayside and Sensible Software died was because of what happened in nineteen ninety six ninety seven was which was that two D died and three D. Uh, became way more important and what happened was fifa i guess ea had the sort of the 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 resources and clouds to make that transition and if if anything it was the 3d the transition to 3d which turned electronic arts into the juggernaut ea that it is now and it was the exact same thing which killed sensible software they just weren't able to do it they had a a 3d sensi game which you know fell apart and they Mm. had you know load of like two or three other games i think with virgin at the time which which ended up getting canned so i think what happened with fifa and pez was very interesting fifa obviously really important in the late 90s pez then took it over for much of their early noughties uh, and and then sort of fifa 09 was when the the tide started changing and konami were getting a bit complacent what we have now actually in terms of at least the big 3d you know traditional football games is a wonderful edition of pez and a wonderful edition of fifa and i buy both every year and i enjoy them both and and I think it's, you know, it's never been a better time to be a fan of football games. But I do feel for Bez because FIFA has such an incredible feature set, and it also has the licenses which yeah, matter. The license more. does Ma- matters more today in nineteen yeah. in two thousand sixteen than it ever did in nineteen ninety four. That's yeah. the way the world works now: is that people recognize faces more and they care more about that than ever before. They care more about players than they care about teams. It used to be mm-hmm. people cared about teams; now they care about individuals. So I think I think. Pez is always going to be fighting an uphill battle as long as FIFA is a good game. Okay. So my last question about Sensible Soccer is about the Kickstarter that happened last year. Yeah. Did you 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 backed the Kickstarter, didn't you? Uh, I've backed. I've done everything that has happened with Sensi. So when they released a book, I bought the I oh, Kickstarter. Oh yeah, I remember that. I, I got I remember, a I got yeah. a copy from my brother Zach. Um, I guess is for Christmas and I got John Hare to sign it. I bought when sensible soccer came. So they brought out a version on Xbox live arcade because Codemasters owns the license now. And yeah. they brought it, I think it was, it was like 2008 or something. Uh, 2007 I, was when the Xbox live arcade. Seven. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I, so when that launched, it went up for about two minutes and then got taken down because there was a problem with it, uh-huh. but I downloaded it in those two minutes. So I think it was me and like maybe two other people 
on Xbox Live at that time had the game for 24 hours before anyone <laughs> did. That's how much fan I am. And when Sociable Soccer, which was John Hare's new project, uh, was done on Kickstarter last year, I immediately jumped in on it. Uh, I don't think they had the legs to finish it, uh, but for whatever reason, thankfully, somebody came in and scooped them up. So as far as I know, the project is still going ahead. Yeah, there was a weird uh, thing where the Kickstarter just all of a sudden was taken down and they put up a note saying something had happened. Um, Yes, very strange. I think what will likely happen there is that they were in the middle of a deal. They needed to kill the Kickstarter for the deal to go ahead, yeah. but they couldn't publicly talk about the deal. I don't know, but I imagine that's what that looks like to me. Because eventually they came out with a with a proper, you know, piece of, you know, press release going like, "This is what's going on. Don't worry, your money's you can get your money your back. Your money's back. Oh, okay, that's weird because so. you think a publisher would be like, no, definitely go ahead with the Kickstarter. This could earn us more money. <laughs> we will guarantee <laughs> you. We will I don't guarantee you such amount. Yeah, I don't think they was gonna win. I don't think they were gonna do it though. I th- I forget exactly what it was, but at the time I remember thinking, you know, pretty much in the first like people who do Kickstarters will tell you, you know, in the first four days if you if you've done it or not because yeah. the bell curve it goes up and then it stagnates and it goes up at the end. So you can tell if you're on the right momentum, and I don't think they were. Yeah. So it's probably a good thing. But yeah, sociable okay. soccer. Looking forward to playing it. Fantastic, fantastic. I remember playing the the first game on the Mega Drive, and that was my yes. extent of. So, uh, I loved it. It was it was it was in between like my first football game, which was Microsoft Football. I don't know if you ever played that. So I do remember playing Microsoft. Uh, it was like a uh, it was strange. It was like two D and a half almost different isometric view to sensible soccer, and then World Cup '98, which was the EA juggernaut. That first time I played FIFA, yeah. what would be I get knocked down, but I get a thub thumping. Yeah, Danny Roy, <laughs> so good. That really that was the year they released three football games. They released uh, Road to World Cup, World yeah. Cup, and the other one. Yeah. And they were all built upon the same engine and oh, released yeah. within one year of each other. And you know, EA has continued on that same path since. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite as egregious, but yeah, pretty yeah. close. That World Cup game was maybe one of the best FIFA games ever made. I totally agree. I'm actually writing a video now about the best unknown N64 games, and that is in that list because that Ooh. game is absolutely superb. That's a good shout. Yeah. Okay, so Danny, before we moved on to your next game, uh, I have this new section of the show that started two weeks ago with Andy Kelly from PC Gamer, um, where he chose the deserted place he wanted to be stuck in. So oh. I thought it would be very... Uh, interesting although you're you know you're in a deserted place you can't help that you're stuck there but in (laughs) video games is there a place you wish you could be stuck in so for example samuel roberts editor of pc gamer last week he chose koholet island from Link's awakening the one with the wind fish and he thought being trapped on a beach there would be lovely is there a place in video games that you think you that sticks in your mind as somewhere you would maybe like to vacate and then you get stuck (laughs) I got to, I was immediately my my brain went to uh, the world in Proteus, Proteus which came really? out in 2013. Yeah. The, but what actually I think I think what the evolution of that is that I want to go on on Jonathan Blow's Witness Island. Okay. <laughs> because that's basically because Bro- Proteus is weird, like pixelated trees would freak me the fuck out after a while. <laughs> I think, I think the witness is a game which I have like almost completed, but I'm so I'm such an OCD head that I I can't get around to like stopping to get all of the insert spoiler here's. But I uh, I think that would probably be be the face place because I I honestly don't think I think it's a game like Fez. I think it's a game you need about five years of play to figure out what the fuck it's about. Okay. 
And it's beautiful as well. So Okay, yeah. so we'll Robert. say the island of the witness is where you are stranded. I like it. Okay, you can play well, unfortunately maybe sensible soccer is locked behind some puzzles. <laughs> so <laughs> Don't do that to me. Um, that's good actually. Eight, yeah, eight. I think there's seven lasers I think you need, is it? Yeah, maybe. Eight okay. Games. Well yeah. So we have eight puzzles that you need to pass to get each game and progressively <laughs> we're getting through the list so you can get all eight games. <laughs> I like it. Okay, so we're going to listen to some music from the next game, and then we're going to talk about it. Okay, Danny. So the next game on your list is the first in the oh, infamous PC series developed and published by Valve. Originally released for the PC in 1998, with the PlayStation 2 release coming three years later. The first in the beloved science fiction first-person shooter franchise that takes on the role of theoretical physicist Dr. Gordon Freeman, Half-Life. Yeah. I, I God, what to say about Half-Life. I was 12 years old when... No, I wasn't. I was 13. It was it was a couple of months after it came out. And my brother worked uh, lived in, at this stage, he, he was in college, in Trinity College in Dublin, which is about 100 miles north of where I live. And they had this file system where uh, it was basically like a Dropbox for like random stuff. So he basically, this is how long ago this was, on a Friday before he took the bus home to Waterford because he came home every weekend, he'd load up a bunch of zip drives. Do you remember zip drives? Yeah, I do. God. Sorry, zip disks rather. Yeah, so 100 megabytes on a disk and he would load up a bunch of these zip disks with whatever was in the Dropbox. And it was basically like this, you know, like a like a Christmas cracker of data whenever he came home on a Friday. He didn't even know what was on it. So it was kind of dodgy because you'd, you'd have everything from funny internet videos to, you know, funny MP3s, you know, like <laughs> Chich and Chong and, and like, you know, prank phone calls and stuff to like, <laughs> to like hardcore pornography and like weird <laughs> shit. And like, we do this on a Friday and like, it was all a very weird experience of like looking through this shit and being like, oh, all right, well, that's a bit weird and whatever. And one of the things he brought down every once in a while was, was he'd have a game. And I think it was like Alien vs. Predator was one that came down and, He'd get demos for things and stuff. And then one of them was this game called Half-Life. But he only had half the files one week, so we had to come down. <laughs> half the files of Half-Life. I know, yeah. It's like fucking perfect, right? <laughs> uh, and he, I remember he couldn't come down the next week. So it was two weeks later that he got the rest of the files for this game. And I remember hearing, like, apparently it's a really good game. But I was completely disconnected from the game's press world uh, at that stage, certainly. Uh, yeah. And then, yeah, he, he gave me the rest of the files, and he went off and did his own thing on the weekend. And, and I stayed at home and I and I started this game and I thought, Jesus, this game is like, this is amazing. I think I played the Uplink demo maybe a couple of days beforehand. I got it from somebody, maybe a PC game recovered this. Uh, it was around the yeah. time I was sort of getting into it, I guess. Uh, 
and yeah, I started playing this game, this game Half-Life, where you played this theoretical physicist and in this really well-realized first-person world. Like, and I played first-person games before. I played Doom and I played Quake at a friend's house. And, but I never really played one at home. But this one was totally different to those. And it felt like grounded and it felt like it had a narrative that I could sort of like, that was, I don't know, digestible for me. It wasn't too sort of, too, too, I was about to say too theoretical or too crazy, but it, it was very <laughs> theoretical, actually, yes. when, when you get into the specifics. But yeah, I, I, Half-Life took me a long time to complete. It took me, I have a very similar story with, with Monkey Island, which is the first game I ever completed, The Secret of Monkey Island, which took me a whole summer to complete. And Half-Life took me, I think I completed it over the course of six weeks, I think it was. And I did that because I kept replaying sections. I'd kill a bunch of guys in a section and then I'd reload the level and see if I could do it a different way. And that was like the first time I ever felt compelled to do that because Half-Life's artificial intelligence when it came to the soldiers was nothing like what we were used to from games like Doom and Quake. So it took me that long to do it on easy mode. And yeah. then the minute I completed it, I com- I went back and I played it on hard mode and I completed it in three days. So that has been, that was like my first person shooter, I guess, kindergarten. That yeah. was what taught me how to play those games. And I've been a, an FPS fan ever since. And I've gone back and completed Half-Life probably maybe, over, I'd say over 20 times at this stage since since then. I, I go back every year and complete Half-Life 1 and 2. And to me it is just it is so perfectly it is such a leap when you look at what happens in first person shooters and you especially especially actually if you look what's happened in fps games in the past 15 years and how stagnant they've been and you look what what was going on in fps games before 1998 before half-life came out and it's just an incredible like for all the there's so much in it in terms of enemy variety in terms of like how to animate people so you're not just like mowing down enemies willy-nilly while you're like tactically thinking about AI, about the different types of weapons, about how environmental diversity can make the same battle different, about three-way battles, which was never a thing. It was always like you and a bunch of, you know, antagonists coming towards you and you trying yeah. to mow them all down, serious Sam style. Like that was that was the way of the first-person shooter. And then suddenly you had this game where you like, you get into the situation, there was like soldiers, then the aliens would spawn in. And then, like, a helicopter would drop some dudes. And there was just so many different ways to play the game. And in 1998, I mean, a lot of that stuff, it sounds quite rote now. But in 1998, that was like, oh, fuck, this is what these games can do. Well, if you think of 1998 and you think of Half-Life, and Half-Life is still, to this day, playable, without a doubt. Yeah. It doesn't suffer from aging like games of that time does. And you think about another first person that came out at that time, which is loved, is, like, Goldeneye. Yes. And you think of the differences even just between Goldeneye, which fair enough was on consoles, and Half-Life. They're huge. I mean, you 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 know, Goldeneye is all about Goldeneye is a popular game for people who had consoles and hadn't played a first yeah. person game. And it is a remarkable game. That on Turok and a couple of other sort of N64 first person games were amazing in the same way that Halo on Xbox One was or on the first Xbox, I can't say Halo. <laughs> On the original Xbox was amazing and that it, it solved this incredible technical problem of how do we make technical and design yeah. problem how do we make these games accessible but yeah. if you yeah if you apples to apples at what was going on the pc they're fucking miles behind it. anyone who says anything else is a crazy person <laughs> what's happening with like half-life was like you're right like it's a game that you can literally still go back and play it. i mean you can go back and play every game and they, they've all got rusty parts and whatnot yeah half-life in terms of its pacing in terms of its like level diversity in terms of like the length of the game is almost perfect they probably shouldn't have bothered with zen 
but like apart from that it is okay. it is almost like the perfect first person shooter and i don't know if that's just my 30 year old mind looking at the state of fps games over the three decades or if it's if it's still self-evident today like i'd love to sit down and watch like a, a, a you know a teenager play half-life one now but i still think it's just one of the most wonderful playgrounds of death that has ever existed in first person games and it's so interesting and it uh, to me it's just apart from being very specifically important uh in terms of my video game education i think it's one of the most wonderful leap forwards for video games that any genre has ever taken well it definitely it almost built the groundwork for the future. As you said, FPS has become quite stagnant since then, but it built the groundwork for this whole entire genre to follow afterwards. Oh yeah, like uh, the, the one of the best things a game can do is is raise that watermark and it ruins it for everyone else. And we've seen it with what's happened <laughs> like Grand Theft Auto is the perfect example of this where like nobody else can even try and make a realistic open world city game. They don't. Like they they, they do, but they it's like it's about like a certain you know genre or you know time in the world or a certain you know like it's a mafia game or it's an assassin's creed or yeah. it's like well super- it has to have a different element to try and disguise it from it's exactly almost and lacking parts to, yeah and to try and take away the sort of the critical aspect of it being you know paired up with gta and yeah. like there are some games which which sort of which sort of do that and i think with with Half-Life was what it did. It was it raised the watermark of like, okay, you can't just make games where you run around corridors blowing the shit out of people. You need to like have, you know, verticality in your game. You need to have different types of enemies people have never seen. You need to have, like, it has something like 12 weapons, which all, like, it's just a crazy weapons. A crowbar, <laughs> fine. Pistols, machine guns. It has like this weird, like, it has a crossbow in it. It has these like three guns, which aren't even invented yet. One of the guns is like, they're basically massive cockroaches. You throw at people and <laughs> they eat them. And if there's no one else to eat, they come back and eat you. Like, it's just perfect mix between the absurd and and a lot of elements that most first-person shooters still have today, which is just like regular-ass gunplay. And I, ju- I, th- I just think it's, it's such a clever game and mostly like a lot of it has to do with its level design, which is something that is so often not really appreciated in modern games where we are just sending, especially in call of duty where level design is so, so unbelievably rote. Uh, I think half-life still stands out to this day. Well, half-life had such a pacing to it where it built you up over the course of the game very well. Yeah. It did that whole, your hero arc thing, which is so familiar now where, you start off with a with a crowbar, and then by the end you're you know wielding yeah. this massive the hero's journey, as it's called. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, you, you, what's called a, a hyperspace arsenal, I believe it's called, is when you have a you have just this outrageous amount of weaponry hidden in a pocket somewhere. <laughs> Wolfenstein yeah, that, style. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's what Half Life was all about as well. So uh, you tr- were saying before about Zen, um, the the issue you maybe had with it. The yeah. one issue was about Zen. What what was the problem with Zen? Like that's towards the end of the game for anyone who hasn't played it, where you go into like the rift that's being created by the experiment that happens at the start of the game. What was it about Zen that you, it caused issues with you? I think Zen was interesting in lots of ways in that it 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 changed up the gameplay and added new elements to it. But I feel like the problem with Zen was that. Number one, you didn't really have... I think there's two issues. The first one is you didn't really have enough time trying to kill those weird floating baby dudes. Ah, uh, like okay. Yeah, they were so fucking it, annoying. 
Yeah, so they were really, really difficult. And then the second part is that it relied too much on platforming, which up until the point where you got the long jump module was not part of the game. So the only time you ever... Like the amount of people who have gotten to the end of that part where you jump into the portal and couldn't do the jump into it. And then once they'd gotten into it, were required to do these crazy... Like there was there was levels in that game where you respond on top of a floating platform, which was a uh, floating platform which was like 400 yards above the ground. And you have to like <laughs> jump... like. It it asked you to do things you'd never really done. And I feel like that aspect, it's the only part of the game that I felt was clearly hadn't been given enough time for balancing for them to really figure out exactly how it worked. And I think that's why it suffered from it. So in the end, what you have is a sort of the battle with Ninlanth right at the end yeah. feels quite like, again, it's another one where if you don't know how to get out of the way of those portals, you're just going to go into those portals ad nauseum. There's these three portals that he shoots out of his head that send you into these basically, like, mini-game levels. You can kill him without jumping into any of those, but people thought that they were, like, Part like a Zelda level. Game. Yeah, where you had to, like, do the three things. Whereas, actually, no, that all those things did was, like, take your health away from you and make you frustrated. So, <laughs> I, I, I just think that last aspect, there's, there's parts of Zen that I enjoy, but I think it, it's the only part of the game that feels slightly unbalanced in a game which is otherwise perfectly balanced, and that's why it stands out, I think. Okay, fantastic. Well, no surprises. We are going to move on to your next game, and it may be familiar familiar to the conversation we've just had. <laughs> <laughs> so let's listen to some music. Danny, so carrying on from Half-Life, the next game in your list, of course, is Half-Life 2. The sequel yes. to the incredibly popular Half-Life. Developed <laughs> and published by Valve and originally released for the PC on November 16th, 2004, with later releases for the Xbox, the Xbox 360, and the PlayStation 3 in the orange box. It took five years to develop and cost Valve $40 million, and during development, a substantial part of the game was leaked and distributed online. Danny... Why Half-Life 2? <laughs> Half-Life 2 is... Okay, um, Okay, it's established. Anyone who's listening now understands I'm a massive Half-Life fanboy. <laughs> but Half-Life 2 did the impossible. Half-Life 1 was the best first-person shooter that had ever been made. And Half-Life 2 is better than Half-Life 1. And <laughs> for them to have pulled that off, is on its own incredible. But Half-Life 2 represents everything that was great about Half-Life 1. And God, it sounds like such a cliche, but like, but, but it turned up to 11. All of the parts of that first game, which made it interesting, weapon diversity. Now you've got a gun which can pick up objects and throw them at people. And yeah. not only that, but they've the made grab gun. Yeah. like a, 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 an aspect of gameplay and puzzle design within the world. 
so unbelievable. So already weapons way way better. Environmental diversity. First game, so much like environmental diversity for a game that comes out in 1998. It's not just copy and paste levels. You're inside of this underground bunker. You're outside of the top. You're in alien worlds. You're in, in all these different parts of this facility. Half Life Two is a game which starts in a city, involves a road trip. There's a horror level which everyone still remembers to this day. There's you know, this whole prison level to it. And then there's this massive fight back in the city at the end. It's like this crazy <laughs> road trip, which, you know, was just never seen before, you know, never seen before and, and has definitely been seen since, I, I'm sure. But like, again, massively groundbreaking. And then the last part, which was these amazing battles where you were fighting three way against like different types of AI and stuff. And then they have these combined soldiers, which are so smart and use crazy like tactics to try and outsmart you and then other things like antlions on top of that and striders on top of that and like the different aspects of of like you know triangular war that happened within that again just like unbelievably crazy uh they also supplemented with 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 two expansion packs one of which was okay the second of which was tremendous yeah. sadly we'll probably never see the third one but yeah half-life 2 to me is so i've like i've said i've, I've played half-life probably 20 times i've november 16 2004 every second week in november i have gone back and completed half-life 2 every year since it's happened since it came out to me it is the best first person shooter that has ever been made and i think i don't know like i i just think that years from now when they try and teach people what video games were and like the ways in which the important moments in games which you know, pushed the the entire media forward. Like Half Life is definitely one of them. Half Life Two. Like I still think to this day, no one has made a first person shooter better than Half Life Two. Half Life Two is, if anything, Half Life Two marks the end of the golden era of first person shooters, and <laughs> that's kind of like tragic in one way, but it's also beautiful that they fucking nailed it. And that's yeah. the reason Half Life Three has never come out is because yo, they made the best first person shooter ever they made a sequel to it which was better half-life 3 is literally going to have to be the best per first person shooter to come out in 12 years for it to like reach the watermark that has been set by that series so i was going to say on the terms of half-life 3 obviously we had episode 1 and we had episode 2 which were these expansion packs on top of the main game and then obviously we are still waiting for a third episode that is more than likely not going to happen <laughs> well gabe did say back in the day that episode 1 episode 2 and episode 3 would act as almost like half-life 3 yeah if they were to make half-life 3 what do you think what possibly could they do and um, do you reckon they could even do it because as you said before half-life they did the impossible they built upon that and they made an even better game do you think it's even possible to make so i think a couple of years ago what i would have said is that they would make an open world first person game and that would have been four years ago before open world first person games have become sort of the norm at this stage. Yeah. And there was recently a leak uh, inside of the, uh, the VR files that the, the, the steam VR HTC Vive yeah. or the, that, that pointed towards the fact that they were going to have some sort of quest system. Cause they have worked on half-life three. I have talked to people who have worked on half-life three. Half yeah, three there's no, there's no doubt in anyone's mind that, they were working on Half-Life 3. Yes, and it sounds like that project started and, started and closed a couple of times and they, they, they never really got off the ground. But one of the leaks that seemed to come out of that was that they had some sort of quest system. So I, I think I think that's probably towards what they were going to do. I mean, it needs to be some sort of massive mechanical change in that Half-Life 2 was 
far more open, lots more outdoors. Like there was hardly any outdoor stuff at Half Life. There was the there was the helicopter battle on top of the dam was one of the most memorable parts. And then Zen was quite open in terms of its architecture, but it wasn't really open, open. And mm-hmm. Half-Life 2 was like, there's an entire parts of that game, which are done on the fucking seaside. Like it's totally crazy. So I think they would have had to have done some substantial, I don't know, remixing of what a first person shooter game is. And I believe that would probably have gone into the first person or into the open world um, part of it. But you never know. Like, I mean, Portal was was them doing that, you know? Portal yeah. was them figuring out a new way of doing first-person games that doesn't involve actually shooting projectiles out of your gun. Yeah. Well, it was an expansion upon what was built up with the gravity gun and the puzzles in Half-Life 2 anyway. Well, yeah, well, it was, and it was also something they basically got an outside student to do as well. I mean, <laughs> yes. our, our back of their drop was a, was, a, was a game that they hadn't made, and then they employed Kim Swift and the rest of the, that yeah. team to come in and make Portal. But you're right, yeah, like it was, it, was, it was in the same realm of, oh, look, we have now invented a weapon which makes this new mechanical thing. And I don't think they could have done that again. I think you're right. So whatever it was, it would have had to have been pretty substantial. And like, you can only do that with the right people at the right time and with the right audience, and you can't throw money at that problem. Uh, and I think what's happened since, which is a little bit disheartening to me, is what we've seen a bunch of the big creative leads from from Half Life One and Two leave. Like Abrash is gone again, the yeah. Lee Wright is gone, the music guy's gone. Like a lot of them are are out of there. And other people are working on different projects, like the Half Life Two art director is working on that Battle Cry game. Like people are all over the place and I, I don't know if we'll ever get a half-life three and if we do in a way it won't be the half-life three we would have gotten before yeah uh, so i'm and i'm 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 kind of okay with that like i'm, I'm okay i think well that those... was going to be my next question would you actually want half-life three you know it's it's that i'm going to give you the fanboy answer the fanboy answer is do it right or don't do it and okay. i think that's also valve's response i think they understand that that's what they need to do and i think that's why we've not seen a half-life 3 is because they haven't been able to do it to the quality bar that they themselves would set and i trust them and i'm okay with that because okay. you know what they made two of the best first person shooter games ever made <laughs> <laughs> they do have a good track record there is no doubt about that they do not and that, but not the only first person shooter games on my list i might say yes no definitely not just before we move on to those though i was mm. gonna ask have you ever had the chance to interview gabe or speak to gabe in any capacity yeah, not before I got into the industry, I went to uh, Gamescom in Germany, the the, the sort of the big European games yeah. convention. Uh, this was when it was in Leipzig before it moved to Cologne. I think yeah, it was two thousand. in Cologne. Yeah, the, the Köln Messe, whatever. Köln Messe. The best yeah, ice cream I ever had was in that city. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they've got weird ones. They have one ice cream there that's called Nogger, N O G G E R, which they could. Yeah, you can't sell that. It's well, there was a, there was a place I, I went to Gamescom in 2011, and there was, there was a place. It was called Kings Winter, which Kings Ooh. Winter, and it had like a huge castle on a hill, and it had this really small beach. A schloss, a large schloss. To the podcast, <laughs> I believe. <laughs> well, it had like this small ice cream parlor, and it was so fucking good. Glass, glass ice or glass whatever they call it <laughs> i fucking love germany but uh, this was in leipzig which was in the, it was their convention center was basically a massive uh it felt like a massive um glass house it was huge got glass building and and i met him i literally walked into leipzig games convention and i was there less than 10 minutes and i was huge as well i was about 17 stone i think back then and i i, I met game no was doing a talk with like 10 people around him and I walked up and I've got this really doofy picture of me with like the worst glasses in the world and like 
12 chins <laughs> sitting beside Gabe Newell, who actually made, makes me look a bit thin, really, actually, in comparison. Just so those like, gleaming so eyes. <laughs> oh, they, yeah, they were they were shopping Left for Dead at the time, actually. They had a, they had a, they had, they'd rented an RV and they were driving it around Europe. It was amazing. But I, I haven't met him since. I'd love to do something on, on Valve. I, I feel like uh, they have got that locked down in terms of you know they're good at representing themselves i think yeah. that's going to be an interesting story to tell in about 10 years time i think there's going to be an interesting valve story happening soon the interesting valve story that's happening right now is about dota and i don't know enough about dota to to do that one yeah so. there was news today about a host and the production team behind the international or something and gave okay. fired them all or something oh wow god yeah so yeah, it's, that's well, not from- there's also the vive as well or the vive that's true yeah yeah maybe 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 you could get Love. Gabe to come on the lobby with the Vive, <laughs> play play some VR games with the man himself. Let's be honest, Liam. If I get Gabe Newell on the lobby, I'm going to talk to him about fucking Half Life Two. That's true. Then refer him to this episode of the podcast. So then I will have <laughs> indirectly spoken with Gabe about Half Life. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of your first person shooters, we're going to move on to your next game. So let's listen to some music. <laughs> So next on your list, Danny, is a bit of a departure from Half-Life, where Half-Life is a more story-driven based FPS. When moving into the realms of competitive. Yes. So uh, the next game on your list is the co-developed Epic Games and Digital Extremes masterpiece, almost, Unreal Tournament, that was originally released for PC in 1998. It was designed as an arena-based first-person shooter, specifically with head-to-head multiplayer in mind, and featured the lead design of Gears of War creator Cliff Blazinski. Danny, why Unreal Tournament? Unreal Tournament was, oh man, God. So I think what happened with this was in 1999, right after I'd completed Half-Life, like probably, I think it was maybe a couple of months afterwards, I'm back in school and me and my buddy, Paddy McGrath, who it's probably the most Irish name you can I come was up just going to say, I kept it to myself, but you said it. So yes, that is the most Irish name. <laughs> right? You thought Danny O'Dwyer was bad. So pa- Danny O'Dwyer and Paddy McGrath are sitting down uh, <laughs> in a, <laughs> a, in a like bar. The start of the show. <laughs> uh, I think it was, we were doing after school study, I think it was, and we both gotten, we'd both gotten PC Gamer that day, and on it was, a on the cover disc was a demo for this game called Unreal Tournament, which they had a piece on the inside basically talking about what it was. I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. Uh, so... Yeah, sorry. No, what actually happened was Paddy had bought the uh, that magazine. I it was PC format. That's what it was, and I hadn't ah. bought it. Uh, so he gave it to me that night, and I went home and I installed the demo. And the demo was, uh, I think it was Deck sixteen, and I think Morpheus, which was the 
level with the three skyscrapers like coming out of the stratosphere completely yeah. ridiculous and i loaded up this game and i like it took me a while to get it running because it was like my my pc didn't have a dedicated graphics card and it started playing and it had this crazy techno soundtrack and it was a first sit with me here Liam, right? it was a first person shooter which didn't have a story where you just blew the shit out of other people <laughs> and i was like so like I played Quake and I played Doom, but I didn't play multiplayer Quake or multiplayer Doom. I was like I was like a child when I was playing these games, right? Yeah. Like so I I never land or anything like that, or I never I never played I, I played half like multiplayer and like install some bots and tried to do that, but like I never or, or, or I like run around the missions. I think I didn't. I, sorry, I didn't have bots by that stage. I never played against a bot before, and I and I played this game and it was like. So you see, you just jump around shooting people and it's like the music's amazing and the weapons are nuts and the levels are like, I'm, I'm fighting people on a fucking skyscraper. Out of the, <laughs> like, this is unbelievable. And I went into school the next day and I was like, this game's amazing. Like, this is like, I didn't know this existed. So for me, Unreal Tournament 99 was one of the most impactful games I'd ever played because it was just, I didn't realize that that was something that video games can do. And then once I realized it was, it was all I wanted to play. Well, it featured very smart AI. And like the, the AI was like praised at the time for being mm. above the rest in terms for of sure. artificial intelligence. And but, it was, the game was wholly built around the idea of facing off bots and just practicing and getting better and better and better because multiplayer back in 1998 was a difficult struggle it was very hard to do yes i remember so i've read a bunch of stuff about this subsequently and one of the biggest problems they had with unreal tournament was that they were launching you have to remember that this was 1999 like there was no broadband internet in most of the world like there was people on dial-up all over the place and then there was people in colleges playing on lands and whatnot and there was some you know some people playing on T1s and whatnot, but it wasn't like you could sell a video game which didn't have a campaign. Like, it was 1990. Like, today we're still pissed about that. I mean, like, <laughs> Titanfall still had a campaign, and that was two years ago. So, like, can you imagine trying to do this, a full-priced game back then? So what happened was uh, there was somebody within the team at Epic had basically figured out how to make bots for, like, testing purposes. And then after a while, they realized, oh, these bots are really good. And then they kept working on the bots. And then they, it wasn't even that they just managed to get the bots to work to any sort of decent level in terms of the deathmatch stuff. This was a game that had like team deathmatch. It had like the assault modes, which were like objective based. It had large capture the flag maps where you had like bots that were dedicated snipers that were like covering people. So it, it was a game that immediately out of the box had a bunch of different modes, a bunch of different levels, and also bots that worked really well in them. And it needed to because this was 1999 and they were selling a non-campaign but you know a first person game that didn't have a single player component yeah uh, yeah it's it's why six you know all these time years later we're still talking about this game in terms of its ai and it was quintessential for the success of that game absolutely yeah i was gonna say it just built up on this community that rode the wave with it as well and mm. it became this phenomenon for competitive play as well it's one of the earliest examples of almost esports being a baby yeah, for sure. Like uh, back then, there was three games. It was Counter Strike, Unreal Tournament, and Quake Three, and they were the, the 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 games that sort of really tried to push, I guess, tried to make competitive shooting 
like I don't know. I'm not sure if sexy is the right word. Probably not. <laughs> sitting in front I don't of know. Me. It featured big, huge, muscular, armored <laughs> dude. So I don't know if sexy is the right word unless you're into that sort of thing. <laughs> it's it's but for whatever they tried to do, they tried to make it bombastic or they tried to make yeah, it bombastic something. is definitely what it, it you know. So and I think Unreal Tournament in terms of like you know it wasn't it was the levels were crazy like you know UT had like a level where there was a a place with like the their version of whatever the quad damage what was it the like the like superpower pickup that was stuck in a room that had like if you press the button on the outside it, ex- it made people explode like they'd sit in there and they'd fill up it would make them exp- like it was just full of this jaunty nonsense as well like they'd low grav levels like they did insta get better than anyone else um outside of like you know in that sort of that, that genre back then so like yeah there were so many ways in which on return was a like unique game and then there was the mutators on top of that which added other gameplay elements it was also very moddable like yeah. one of the guys the engineers in GameSpot, or he's, he's left now but one of the guys who was an engineer joe slack he he worked on a bunch of mods for like they had mods for like you know matrix uh slowing the bullet time and and doing flips and you know realistic weapons and because the unreal engine or the the whatever the udk was back then because that game was developed in such an open nature it it allowed people to do all that stuff as well so that's why they built that that really good core fan base and that's why people kept buying unreal tournament games and although some of those games were better than others there were some really great ones in, in the following years. In fact, one of them is going to come up in a very strange way, I think, in a later game on my list here. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, how did you feel about later versions of Unreal Tournament? You had like Unreal two, Unreal Tournament 2004, and then you had the Unreal Tournament, which was for the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation <laughs> <Yeah>. 3. <laughs> that uh, whole thing of naming things the same. Is years later. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. How did you feel about those versions of the game? Did you think they captured the spirit of what the first game had or and the fact that multiplayer was a lot more accessible towards that end of uh gaming? Yeah. That's true actually. Yeah, in the years later, people were definitely more used to it and, and internet connections were better. My two standouts are really like Unreal Tournament 2004, I think is great. I think 03 was 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 pretty good. Um I think the ones before that were not great. Up okay. on until 99 uh, but i think 2004 and 2003 were great uh, because they added that they, because they let the shackles go again like when they started doing the vehicular combat and doing that large scale those maps where like oh you're all these crazy you know vehicles like like jeeps that had like knives coming out of the side of them and those weird <laughs> like hover bikes that you could right click and they dump down on somebody like all that stuff was great like and they balanced it well and they had some really great maps and it worked really well. And the other one I really like, and I'm not, I, I feel like an outsider on this, is I really like Unreal Tournament 3. And when you go back and play it now, it's very strange because it basically looks like concept art for Gears of War because all the Locust people are basically like a race in this game. Like it's 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 one of the, it's the biggest antagonist in the single player component of it. Yeah. But they did the same thing where they added in all these crazy weapons. They added in like some weapons that weren't great, like no one's going home talking about the lightning guns or anything. But like they added in other game modes that were interesting. Like I think the the ways in which variety in those games mattered a lot. And I think even you know with the wep- with the weapons they had and with the maps they had, that even you know dumb shit like bombing run that was still fun. It was like yeah, great. We they tried to make American football in in a first person shooter. Like yeah, go for it. And I think 
that sort of stuff I really enjoy, where I like people throwing ideas at the wall and seeing what sticks. And it's one of the things we don't see in first-person design, specifically in video games anymore, because everyone's so fucking scared about making, you know, doing something wrong or stepping in the wrong direction. Okay. And that really pisses me off, especially with games like Call of Duty, which have these massive fan bases. Like, try something. And these were games that didn't have massive fan bases. This isn't like they're going to lose any fans either. Completely, yeah. The fan base is so loyal that it doesn't matter how if you changed it a little bit. I mean, they tried with like Advanced Warfare and Black Ops 3 to make this science fiction type. I mean, yeah, no, and they but, have done stuff. Like they've added the zombies and that was cool. But like they added the zombies like what feels like 12 years ago now and they're still doing the fucking zombie thing. Like, <laughs> go back to 1999 and look at first-person shooter design and look how much it changed in these tiny years afterwards. So I feel like, yeah, those games to me were magical because I was young and they were magical because I never played anything before like that before. Yeah. But they were also magical because they just did stuff that nobody was doing. And, and I... It, like, what a fun game that had, like, you know, dual pistols or a gun that shoots, you know, shrapnel, you know, a, 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 a rocket launcher that can shoot one rocket, four rockets in a line, four rockets in a spiral, or grenades. Like, and it's the same weapon. Like, it was just such a fun game. I mean, it even had a, a dumb weapon that shot, like, fucking green nuclear waste. Like, the bio <laughs> rifle sucked, but... And I think maybe... I don't want to preempt one of your questions. I'm guessing you're going to talk about the new Unreal Tournament that they've made. Yeah. That's really, really good. Oh, okay. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I love the new Unreal Tournament. I think it looks... The, the original new T did a bunch of things right. It looked amazing for the time. It made your PC feel like it was the most powerful thing in the world, which the new one does as well. Yeah. It had a great, like, just great bombast, really good weapons, interesting, like, maps, and, like, it, it did, like, impact really well in the game, where, like, if you died, you felt like you died, and if you killed someone, you felt like you really fucking killed them, and I think that's what the new one does really well as well. Uh, and then the other thing it did really well is mods and community support, and they're trying to get there with the, sort of, the, the open, you know, marketplace that they've created there. I'm not really sure. I hope it does better than Quake Live, because that was obviously Quake's attempt at it, but I'm, I'm, I'm really into it, and I think anyone who, if they haven't played on a tournament before, the alpha's free, and you should definitely, like, jump in there and, and give it a go, because it's it's weirdly enough, 2016, all these years after Unreal Tournament, 17 years later, Unreal Tournament Alpha still feels like a breath of fresh air in the first person genre. Okay. Well, there you go. Danny O'Dwyer approved the new Unreal Tournament. I'm going <laughs> to check that out, actually, because it wasn't that long ago I was at a land party playing Unreal Tournament 2004 and thinking, oh, God, I wish they would make a game like this again. Just yeah, bombastic, my- jumping around, strafing, shooting getting killed a lot in my case (laughs) (laughs) but speaking of first person shooters and the next game on your list is a very similar game and a game you've already mentioned (laughs) so we're going to move on to your next game and we're going to listen to some music
Okay, Danny, so the next game on your list is also a competitive shooter, but this one was even more multiplayer-focused because it, it featured no single-player whatsoever. It's the third game in the Quake series. It dropped the traditional single-player experience to focus on multiplayer, although it did allow for players to play solo against bots. And one of the programmers who worked on Quake 3 was John Carmack. The next mm. game on your list is Quake 3 Arena. Danny, please tell me about Quake 3 Arena. Yeah, it's, and it's... I swear to God that the genre diversity mixes up a bit after this one. I'll say that because we still have four first-person shooters from within the same two years. I think this is good though because it, well, it, 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 it's a good representation of how you've progressed through gaming. You know, you started out with Sensible Soccer, and that was very influential on in the start of your gaming career, we could say. And then you moved into Half Life, which showed you the story that video games could portray, as well as good first-person shooters. And then we've got your competitive side, your you're getting towards teenager aggressive competitiveness. <laughs> yeah, and I think Quake 3 is probably the more aggressive of these two. Uh, at that time, right, this was the oasis and blur of first-person shooters where you were either into <laughs> Unreal Tournament or you were in Quake 3. And they came out around the same time. And if you thought the console wars was bad before, I mean, Unreal Tournament was a game you could play on a stock graphics card. If you didn't have an OpenGL graphics card, you could not play Quake 3. It would not load up. And they didn't have onboard OpenGL, I don't believe. So you had to go out and buy a graphics card to play this game. And I did. It was the second piece of equipment I ever bought for my PC. The first was a 4.1 sound card. I'm still not quite sure why I bought that before <laughs> Euro back in the day. But the next thing I bought was it was a 3DFX card, which supported OpenGL. And when I did, I bought Quake 3 with it as well. And it made that game look amazing. And that game was just like in the same way that unreal tournament was oh my god you can make games like this quake 3 runs it feels like it runs at about 150 percent of the speed of unreal tournament in that it is just the most ridiculously punishing twitch uh it is it's it's rocket jumping strafe jumping firing running turning it's it's mania it's It's amazing like and and like people get like rc about call of duty now and they say that like you know their depth is incredibly man skilled in call of duty but fuck you for Quake 3. <laughs> like, like, okay, imagine Call of Duty, except you've got a gun which shoots a laser and also you're flying through space and the other person can see you and they're 400 yards away and you better kill them with this shot because otherwise this gun's going to take a second and a half to reload and they're going to kill you. Like, it is so unbelievably punishing. It is about, like, it's, it's Counter-Strike levels of accuracy required, except you respawn immediately. Yeah. So what people get like, like CS is so beautiful and it like almost made this list. And I love Counter-Strike 1.6. I love Source and I love Go. I love all of them. I mean, he, I, clearly, like I'm, I'm the one dude who loves Unreal Tournament and Quake 3. I'm sure there's others, but like... No, there's, there's love, plenty of others, I'm sure. Right. But like, it was like that, except you respawn. So you get killed and you just, you're back and you got to do it again. Because if you don't, that same guy who just hit you with the with the railgun... They're gonna turn around and they're gonna know where you respawn and try and hit you again. And I think in terms of it was it was very, very similar to Arnold Drama in many ways, in which it had really good level diversity in terms of it was the crazy sort of, you know, rocket pad, jump pad, you know, open air sort of stuff. Yeah. There was interesting internal levels. Uh, and then but they they had a more restricted weapon palette, I feel, but the weapons were so well balanced, like so good, like that you knew when to use each one. And there was sort of a more constrained element of, uh, I guess, what would be referred to as like level management or weapon management, which is that knowing when the red shield is going to respawn, knowing when the rocket launcher is going to respawn, yeah. 
Well, that was another part of the uh, another element of being good at that game. If you didn't know the timers and you weren't watching the timers, you you were going to miss out and you were going to get fucked up. Yeah, and if you're, you know, you can play that game against novice bots and not have to worry about any of that, no problem, and just go in and, you know, get the railgun and blow people apart. But, like, if you played that at any sort of level with other humans, that was the way you won that game, was that they yeah. deny you. They deny you the railgun, and that was it, or deny you the rocket launcher, and that was it. And I think, like, I loved that game in so many different ways. I loved the level, similar to Unreal Tournament, the mod support, the level support, crazy interesting levels, crazy interesting skins, Really good full takeover mods. Rocket Arena is one of my favorite mods that's ever been made, ever been made. And I was basically one-on-one, you know, winner stays on multiplayer where you could load in your own MP3s. And I just used to spend hours playing that. And I, like you said, it didn't have a single player component. Like Unreal Tournament had the sort of piecemeal instant or campaign thing, but like yeah. it, it had bots and it had bots that you could stick way too many bots in a level. And then it had a weird, you know couple of team based things with like quake 3 team arena the weird weirdest expansion pack that probably ever came out for a multiplayer only game where it added all these like fucking kind of terrible new game modes to it but it like made quake 3 feel more like unreal tournament and i think like we were so spoiled like within the same year two of the best multiplayer first person shooters ever certainly the best i like i i I love Quake. I've gone back and played a lot of Quake 2, and I think I probably wasn't the right age for it. But I do think that Unreal Tournament 99 and Quake 3 are the best games in their series. Uh, 100%. I think definitely in terms of multiplayer stuff. And I think we were so spoiled that in, the, in, in that one year we got... It's like the FIFA and Pro F thing we talked about earlier. Yeah. It's just they, were, they, they both raised the watermark. They were both making great games, and they both needed to knock it out of the park. And both of them did. And both of them are two of my favorite video games ever made. Did you ever go back and uh, play the PlayStation 2 or the Dreamcast port of Quake 3? Oh, man. Did you ever hear about the weird story about the cross-platform stuff for the Dreamcast version? No, I did not. No, please tell me. There is a wonderful story. So basically, a bunch of uh, you know hackers on the PC, or crackers, rather, as they want to do, they got a copy of the Dreamcast one, and they basically figured out a way of patching the pc version so it could log into sega's dreamcast servers so essentially overnight they ruined the non-patchable version of the dreamcast uh, quake 3 because uh, all the folks who were playing on dreamcast and i did i played it briefly in a in a, in a local uh, shop in waterford that i subsequently ended up working at actually it was my first ever job uh, <laughs> but they did have it they had a, a, a they had a bunch of computers set up that you could play at uh, but yeah, they cracked it so that anyone who's playing on Dreamcast suddenly a bunch of mess and keyboard motherfuckers jumped in and were just smoking them. So it totally <laughs> destroyed. And I the can best just imagine. It, can you imagine? Like it's like in any first person oh, game. Oh god, it's so frustrating. Could you imagine playing like the longest yard with a railgun on a Dreamcast and then some asshole with a mouse and keyboard turns up? You just kill everyone. And the best <laughs> thing about it was that the only way you could re- you could know if somebody was a Dreamcast player was that they had a I think it was like a twelve character limit on their name, okay. so you could only do. So all these PC people would come in with like fifty character long names, <laughs> so everyone knew who they were. And yeah, they ruined that game overnight. They because you couldn't you know you couldn't patch consoles back. What you, I'm sure there was a way, but like people weren't patching their consoles back then. So, God, so that, people are so smart, aren't they? The community communities behind <laughs> games are just so smart. Can you imagine if that shit happened today? Can you imagine oh, people go to pay pencil? Them, like they they'd want yeah, they'd want John Carmack on a on a crucifix for that one. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Which one I, are, which one out of the two for uh rhetorical sakes, let's say, uh, 
you lose one of them on the island. It gets buried in some sand. <laughs> or is locked behind a puzzle that you cannot complete. There's a couple of them. <laughs> well, it's locked behind one of them. Which one would you prefer to be locked away? The one I couldn't get to. I would... Ah, uh, it's you know what it is. I think this changes on a day to day, and I think today I'm feeling Quake Three a bit more. I think okay. I'd, I'd 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 lock away in real tournament, and I love UT, but there's something about I, you know what it was. It's probably I still feel like I don't want buyer's remorse for buying that graphics card. <laughs> so Quake Three <laughs> was more of an investment. So probably Quake, 3. Quake both those games are just yeah tremendous. But Quake Three, uh, I think yeah, if I was to choose one of them, it, it's just so. I think it plays better in 2016. I think Unreal Tournament has a very sort of, okay. uh, I don't know, geogra- it has a very squareness to it. It's very, it looks more 1999 than Quake Three does. I think. Yeah. I think Three maybe ages a bit better. Were you any good at those games? Because the one thing I've always, always wanted was to be good at those games, and I am not. <laughs> I love They're- watching people play, especially people who are good. I, it's fascinating to me how people can respond that quickly to what's going on around them. And I've always wanted to be good at it. Are you? Are you any good? Would you classify yourself as you know up there back in the day? Yeah, I, I, you're only as good as you're playing. And I, I, I probably have a little story for this actually. I think I was quite good. I think I can still pick up any first person shooter, and I'm pretty fucking good at. It. Like I blazed through super hot in seventy minutes. Like I think if I want to, I I'm, completed I'm, that this morning. By the way. Yeah, yeah. So, well, yeah, the campaign's pretty short, but I, yeah like 200 extra levels i have to go through now but it's fucking amazing by the way <laughs> as a side to what we're talking about but super hard I mean, we're talking about innovative first person shooters so yeah ex- oh absolutely perfect <laughs> yeah, but I, I remember uh, in that same game store that i played the dreamcast version there was some kid from another rival school who said he was really good at quake 3 and we i remember one day we went down to the shop to the shop and me and him went like mano a mano when we both had like friends from our schools come with us so i remember like doing a 1v1 in i think it might have been the longest yard uh with rail guns against this guy uh he was like norwegian or something yeah uh, an exchange student and he and i won and it was in front of all these other people and it was like amazing to me and i remember like a year later going to a local land cafe and some kid who like he was like 12 and he never went to school he just went to this land cafe every day and played video games i don't know how the fuck he got away with it but uh he was like do you want i was like i'll kick your ass in quake 3 and then he loaded it up like with he did that thing where he loaded up with no textures and he, he like forced the model to be like i think klesk who was this big massive mechanical dude in green so it was like really easy to see you and I was like, oh shit, this kid's like for real. And he smoked me. He <laughs> He's like, fucking legit. <laughs> yeah, he was like totally legit. Like, I'm not saying that he, he won because he did those things, but it was like, he did those things because he's a winner. And yeah. like, he just to- totally tore me asunder. So I think, in, I think in those types of games, especially back then before, like lots of ranked play, you, you were only really as good as the people you were playing against. Like you could be really good at a game if, if your brother or sister was shit at it. Uh, so I think I was pretty good, but then I definitely, you know, if there was online play, there was, I probably wasn't that good. No, fantastic. Okay, so we're gonna move on from first-person shooters now into finally. Uh, yeah, finally. God damn it, Danny. God <laughs> damn it. No, that was great. I love hearing about stories about competitive games back in the day, always because I was shit at them. So, <laughs> <laughs> but before we move on, I put out on Twitter this week asking if anyone had a question that could be related to the show in some way that was a little bit different from the usual questions I asked. Okay. So 
Luckily, thanks to uh, the awesome guy that is uh, Rob Birchnell. I hope I got your right, name right. He uh, had a pretty excellent question. Where I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's Rob. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but Sorry. what what game would you hate to be in your deserted place on the oh, Witness God. Island? Say you had your eight there, and there happens to be an extra game that you stumble upon. But unfortunately, it's a game you just absolutely detest so much so <laughs> that, in Rob's own words. You launch it off the deserted Witness Island on a rocket. <laughs> what game warrants such like an angry response from you? Uh, Destiny. Oh, shit, Danny. <laughs> yeah, Ouch. I don't know. I feel bad about this one because a lot of people really like it. Um, a lot of Yeah, people. I don't want anything to do with Destiny. I think Destiny is Activision trying to to basically they you know they bought blizzard and they bought blizzard because of world of warcraft and world of warcraft had a really long tail and did really well for them and i think in blizzard that's them or sorry in in, in destiny that's them trying to get bungie to make a to make Same. a platform like they said they were going to make a game for 10 years and yeah. then like i i did an episode at a point about the i was just going to mention you did an episode yeah. at the point last year about destiny and it was like almost like a slot machine if I remember yeah, correctly. there's this whole there's this whole school of thought about variable ratio schedules. It, you know, it's 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 nothing new. It's like it's it's old school sort of, you know, I forget the the, the term of whatever it is like behavioral psychology. I guess is yeah. what you call it. Um, that yeah, if you it's the way which casino you know one armed bandits work. It's the way in which lottery works. And there's this really good paper written on Gamma Sutra a couple of years ago by this gentleman who was working on this on using variable ratio schedules to, to get people to come back to playing video games. And he's in charge of this asp, this like team within Bungie for destiny, like the audience retention team. So like, I get that people do this. I get that this is like part of providing a service within a video game. But for me, destiny is a game which takes that to a moral area, which I don't think video games should go into. And I think destiny is a game which, has been designed to get people to buy DLC and I don't like when game design is used instead of inspiring people to you know be have imaginative times or inspiring people to to enjoy unique and interesting experiences if that's fundamentally done to get people to buy content then yeah. that's not something I can get behind so I just have a that's how I feel about destiny I I get that it's a good shooter I get that it does lots of things interesting but I think it is a game that Activision made to make a lot of money uh, and to only make a lot of money. And I don't, I, I don't like that. Fair enough. That is a, that was an interesting answer. That's for sure. Oh, off, off the Island, off the, off the Island the on a rocket. On a slower, Destiny is gone. It is not included in this list and you do not want it. <laughs> so we're going to move on to your next game, which is a blizzard Activision game. So <laughs> let's listen to some music.
Okay, Danny. So the next game on your island is a game that I have come to terms with allowing people to have. It does require an internet connection. It is Blizzard's huge MMO juggernaut that changed the MMO genre. The fourth game set to be... Uh, the fourth game set in the Warcraft universe and it was released on November 23rd, 2004 for PC and it takes place in the fictional world of Azeroth. It is World of Warcraft. Mm. Danny, please tell me about World of Warcraft. Uh, WoW was a game that in the ways in which there were first-person shooters that had multiplayer you know, components before I played Unreal Tournament, there were also plenty of first-person, you know, or sorry, there were more online D&D games. You know, EverQuest had been around forever, and there was a bunch of other games that, that were doing what, what, what I was doing. And I guess, you know, it's we all know how it works now. Blizzard are very, very good at getting into a genre and doing it better than everyone else. I think we're seeing that with Overwatch at the moment, which yeah. is one of the finest first-person shooters we made in years. I still haven't got a beta key. God uh, damn, I, I want to play that game so badly. They're they're using that beta to yeah to, as an aside I think they are using that beta as a promotional tool a lot like the people who are involved are mostly streamers and and people yeah in the press. I I definitely can see that because I am fucking dying over here not hopefully they'll open it up more yeah. people need to play that game I think when people play that game they realize it's it's something special uh, but World of Warcraft was a game that people who did not play MMOs people who did not play fantasy games played World of Warcraft I didn't yeah. give a fuck about this stuff i did not care <laughs> one bit about elves and orcs and magic and fucking paladins like i didn't that was not my jam i didn't read lord of the rings i didn't care about you know any of that stuff. i think the closest i got was probably pratchett's disc world but like i i just wasn't into that sort of stuff but world of warcraft was a game kind of like what skyrim did for people on consoles that just it was such a good game that people who didn't care about that you know aesthetic or that you know theme yeah. were just like completely besotted with it and world of warcraft you know it's the obvious why it's on this list it's the best massively multiplayer online role-playing game ever made like hands down done and dusted that's you know put it in the box give it its give it its trophy and walk away because it's you know it's been around forever it obviously had a massive subscriber base it's had half a dozen very successful expansion packs i mean when burning crusade came out it was it was like the biggest thing because you had this huge install base of people well at its peak it had like 12 million players and over its lifetime it's had over 100 million accounts created yeah it's incredible and like a lot of that is you know some of that you can say is okay when it went free to play in 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 asian markets like some of those numbers come from there so you can you know it wasn't all people who were like buying the expansion packs all the time but like you you had so many people playing this game it was it was an open world it was an uh, a role-playing game which when you, okay you know what we just talked about destiny okay yeah Destiny's a game where you start it it's got the same single player campaign for everyone it's got a bunch of different classes, but they're basically all the same thing except for like, you know, one or two different moves they have. World of Warcraft was a game that you obviously had to pay five or a month for, which if you were to pay the same amount for all the XP, all the things the Destiny has without getting one of the bundle packs, you would have actually spent more on. So at the time, it felt like it was a lot of money to be spending on a game five, ten dollars a month or whatever it was on on getting uh, yeah. your, your subscription. But World of Warcraft was a game that when it launched had two different sides with which started in you know different sides of this this crazy world had different races within those sides had which all started in a different part of the world and then within those races had different classes which played completely different to each other 
playing as a paladin and playing as a priest or playing as a warrior, like the fundamental way in which you, you know, use rage or gather mana or engage in combat and try and use shouts and get aggro or sit back and like, you know, uh, support people. Like this wasn't stuff that like changed on a mission by mission basis. By the time you were like a level 60 paladin, you couldn't do anything else. It wasn't like you could just respec and be a priest. I mean, eventually they ended up like mudder, muddy, muddying the waters a little bit. Yeah, they made it a little easier to be almost a re-roll if you weren't. Yeah, really. it's it was probably more specific with the palette and probably more than anything else actually. But but like I, like that that you could be so many different people within that within that game, and it wasn't even like you, you were like a different role. But like when you start off in the Elwyn Forest as a human. And then you start off in like the Undercity as as one of the undead. It's like it's totally different. It's a different game you're playing. So you could, like the game had this vastness built into it, which you could feel. You could feel it when you when you came across somebody in Duskwood for the first time who was horde, and you're like, I can't understand you. You're typing and it's coming out in Orcish, and I don't know what's going. And you're going to are you going to kill me, or am I like you've been playing this game for like, you know, God like like 100 hours now and i've been playing this game for 100 hours and i'm really invested in my character and i don't want to like everything felt so meaningful on that game and i think you know in late it became rote after a while and the, the mechanisms of the game showed themselves in the same way any genre does once people get used to it yeah. and the auction house becomes this you know and we go to thoughtbot and get your quest and you know f- you figure out the ways around it becomes quite video gamey but there was a while there right at the start for like the first year or maybe the first two years where world of warcraft felt like magic was happening it just it felt like we've created a new society there are people playing from all over the world i don't know if they're men or women i don't know if they're white or black i don't know if they're gay or straight i don't know what's going on but we're all like transposed onto these different avatars and we're invested in our avatars and we're not playing this game as if it's a video game we're playing this game as if we are like we care about the character we are. Yeah. And that has, I don't think that has ever happened. I'm sure it's happened in like other pockets within gaming, but not on the scale of World of Warcraft. That was like a moment in video games, which I am so happy that I was around for. And I'm so happy I was in college because I basically just fucking did it all the time as well. And put on a bunch of weight. <laughs> ended, up, <laughs> ended up quitting Warcraft and losing like, like 30 pounds. But it was such an, a momentous moment. And I think World of Warcraft... When they, when they talk about like the, the most important video games of all time, like top 10, wow, will always be mentioned. It's it's the Tetris of of the noughties. It's it's such an amazing moment in, in the history of video games. Fantastic. Well, I was going to say, you created last year, was it last year or the year before? I forget. But uh, the last year, 2014, I guess. It was. Yeah, 2014 for the Warlords of Draenor release, which was an expansion I actually really loved. I thought it was mm. fantastic. The Warlords of Draenor reinvigorated wow in a way that other expansions hadn't quite done i mean dude can we cataclysm how cool is that shit cataclysm was absolutely i mean it took this game world that people had been used to for so long and then fucking broke it right it's like that, we're gonna yeah that's incredible it's, dragon comes through and it's literally gonna change everything like what a way to get people to come back it's like suddenly the barons has like got a fucking yeah. tropical rainforest in it <laughs> <laughs> well that's the thing it's like all these zones that you you 
as you said, people got used to the systems and they, you know, it was rinse and repeat and people knew what they were doing. But then all of a sudden, just everything changed. And it was this whole new world to explore with the same systems that you were used to, but it was different. And it's like, what a weird feeling it was to like walk into Thousand Needles and see a river running through it. Like, and it felt like, it felt sad. It felt like I, like I have, because I've like moved country twice. You know what that feeling is when you when you yeah. go in and you when you come back and everything's the same, but the things that are different like hurt. Like they feel yeah. different and they feel lost to time. And in a weird way, when Cataclysm happened, you'd go back and like I go back now and I go to my character, my 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 dwarf paladin Fugani, like who I dumped God knows how much time into. And like I load up WoW and he's still there and like I boot him and he boot him up and probably some sitting in somewhere in Ironforge or something and like it's well maybe, maybe not anymore probably Stormwind and he's there just waiting for you <laughs> and it's like man like that is a real connection and when you, you went back to those places and they were different like if you spent time in that game in a way that like those places felt like places in a way that video game places don't feel like places and I think that's because everyone else walking around that world was yeah. also human and yeah. that so unique in video games exactly it was someone else it was a real person it wasn't just a character it was someone who could interact with you on a level that artificial intelligence just couldn't do yeah and, and that's what and made it special and all the time and hope and, and work that you put into your character who was specced in such a specific way to do a specific thing and they all did the same thing there was an investment there yeah which just don't get anymore especially you know we now live in a world where you click a button and you've got a level 100 player or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's not what that was yeah. before. It was a scary, weird place. It's like when Dark Souls came around and people were like, what the fuck is this? And then <laughs> everyone figured it out. And that's not what Dark Souls is like anymore. Dark Souls now is like this, we understand what it is and, and, and that's fine and we can see the puppet strings. But back then, man, that game just felt like complete and utter magic. And yeah. What a well, wonderful, wonderful thing. Well, there's what I was going to ask you. As you, you create this series that was based on a, a documentary about people who've mm. played World of Warcraft for the 10 years and how it changed their lives and people had met each other in game and stuff like that. I want to ask you, what was your experience like? If if I was interviewing you as you for that show, what would you be saying? What what was it about your guild or your friends <laughs> that made Warcraft special to you? Uh, I had two good friends in college, uh, James and Simo Simo, who I used to play with all all the time in in World of Warcraft. And I think maybe my favorite, you know, to to that, that whole series was about plucking out plucking out individual stories that were unique. And I think maybe my favorite moment from back then was when Simo turned twenty one. Um, James broke into his account. We went to his house. Uh, he was at work, actually. And we used to always play in his, in his house. And we'd raid <laughs> together and stuff. And actually, they actually leveled up ahead of me. And I enjoyed exploring the world way more so, than they did. They were more into raiding. And I didn't really like raiding at all. So um, I just, I, like, my level, my character leveled up super slow because I just used to enjoy walking around and meeting people. Um, and we, but we did this thing where we got our mounts and we, went around the world with his character and our two characters. We just did like white click follow and got into yeah. like around with us. And we took a, for his 21st birthday, we, we made a photo album of screenshots of the three of us in like all of the randomest parts of Azeroth. <laughs> so everywhere from like, you know, obvious places like, Oh, the, the gates of like iron forge or, you know, whatever, you know, the, where the, where the boat comes in, like sitting on the front of one of the boats as on your horse or like right on the edge of the pier, you know, all that sort of stuff. We, we, so we basically like printed up this, this photo gallery. And then on top of that, we printed up a, 
God, I don't know how big it was. It was probably about 30 inches, maybe, uh, framed picture of the three of us on our manse outside Ironforge, which he still has up in his house to this day. That is like, amazing. It is when he got it, like he almost like cried when he got it. And like he was crying because you were fucking around with his account. <laughs> <laughs> that fucking bought a bunch of mounts on his. Man, I saved up so much money for my first mount, and then realized when which you... one was it? Fucking, it was a it was one of the horses in in, in near Dunmora, like outside Ironford. Because I was a oh was... Yeah, yeah yeah, but the fucking Pallies got them for free. Yeah, they I did. Didn't yeah. No. So I was like, I was like grinding like a jerk forever to try and get all this stuff, and I think I eventually probably bought a bunch of gold off some of them Chinese twelve year olds or something. But <laughs> in, the, in the end, I I got this. I went in, and they were like, "Oh, it's free." So I had all this gold for like no reason, and I was so pissed about it. It was so good. But what a, yeah, what a wonderful. I I wish I had a copy of that. Um, I'm not sure if my girlfriend would let me put it up now, but I wish I had one of those. Uh, one of those uh, copies of that that painting or that picture because it was yeah that was super special that was good. I was gonna say so is it safe to say that you you're excited for Legion? Mm, I I am, but I but my time with that game is 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 bad. Like my, my golden age of that time is. So you uh, think with, even on your even on the island of the witness, you know where you've got all the time in the world now to play. I mean, I'd probably get back into it because I was on the island of the witness and I don't want to do all the puzzles. puzzles but <laughs> now, to me, World of Warcraft is special because of what happened between 04 and 07. And it's great, all the stuff that's happened. And I really love going back for Cataclysm. And you're right, Draenor was a, was a wonderful game. Or Draenor was a, a wonderful expansion. And I think Legion is doing some interesting stuff as well. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of Warcraft 3 as well. But yeah. I think uh, for me, that game is... The, the 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 golden age for me and it has most certainly passed so uh, okay. anything that happens now is is it's an echo of nostalgia it's not it's not a new experience so yeah, I'll, I'll go back and play the same feeling no you can't like there are very few there is no other game that's made me feel that way like world of warcraft so yeah i wouldn't i don't expect it to do it again and, and i wouldn't ask it to fantastic i love hearing stories about world of warcraft it's Great, a game it? i i I didn't get into as much as everyone else, and that was more of a I couldn't afford the expansion and my uh, the a subscription, and my parents yeah. wouldn't pay for it. But That's then when I could, I met friends in college who I bonded over playing the game and them introducing me to it, and I have some wonderful memories of World of Warcraft. And I still think to this day, Azeroth is one of the best looking game worlds out there. Yeah, for sure. You play it today, and it's it's hard to. It's difficult to, to, or it's it's hard to remember that it, it's twelve years old. Yeah, well, back. it has an art direction to it that is just unlike anything else. It's all it's kind of cartoonish, kind of fantasy realistic, but it just sits right. It looks nice, and everything is designed very well. Yeah, I mean, you look at other MMOs of that era, like EQ, like those games were very, like in the same way that the Elder Scrolls games were back then. They were very self-serious looking very like realistic yeah. looking and uh, yeah i don't know it, time is not kind to those types of games no not at all i mean especially 3d games so it's weird that that they did something with that game just blizzard man they just they there's magic in in those keyboards i don't know what they do but fuck me <laughs> like now it's still even a wonderful looking game fantastic okay so we're going to move on to a completely different game and a game i know you personally love at the moment so we're going to listen to some music
Okay, Danny. So the penultimate game on your list is the indie smash hit developed by Psyonix, originally developed for the PlayStation 4 and the PC, that released last year on July 7th, two days after my birthday, with an <laughs> Xbox One port coming uh, coming out last week. Yeah. It's a sequel to the PSN 2008 release, supersonic, acrobatic, rocket-powered battle cars, and it's uh, a very simple premise of rocket-powered cars that hit a giant football. It's yeah, right. Rocket League. Rocket League is... Uh, I'm gonna say it now. It's the it's the most recent game on my list because I know yes. I put something down on on the last one, but I'm I think I'm gonna change it. But we'll we'll get to that in a second. Okay. Uh, so Rocket League came out last year, and Rocket League is the this is a, a weird thing to say. Rocket League is the best football game that has come out in the past like ten years, and like <laughs> FIFA is fucking great, and FIFA 09 is amazing, and FIFA 10 is amazing. Um. And they've they've done a great job at all those, and the new Pezzes are really good. But Rocket League captures an aspect of football which I am very familiar with as somebody who's played football my entire life. And yeah. I played until I moved to the states. I, I played for a year over here as well. Uh, and I but I played the four years I lived in in London. I played for a team, the Star Bethnal Green in North London. Before that, I played at relatively high level in Ireland for a bunch of different clubs. Um, mostly playing on goal, but I played at pitch a bunch as well. And like Rocket League to me captures the essence of what it is to be a player on the pitch in a way that none of those games do because those games are about controlling a team, and that's yes. not what playing football is like. You are a you are one of the players who has a specific role on a team and your job is mostly about hitting the ball the right way to somebody or at something. And that's what Rocket League is about. It's about, you know, you're a car, you're not a foot, but you're basically a foot and the ball is coming towards you and you need to hit the ball in the right place to put it into the goal or to put it into uh, the right part of the, the field. And then the other thing which it does, which none of those games do, and even really when you're playing the sort of the 11 v 11 thing which fifa which fifa does is that it it makes you think about your placement within the map in a way that is so important and it's like the quintessential thing of of football of what makes teams great is being in the right place at the right time being able to close the distance on somebody who's got the ball being able to be first to the ball if you're in an attacking position and that comes from the boost where the boost pads are put in in the level and also the ability to just watch the ball with ball cam and find your space within the world and to anticipate where the ball is going to go yeah and outside of the fact that it feels like this very accurate if not you know not not similar looking but very accurate feeling simulation of what football is on top of that they just everything this game feels like the sequel to a super acrobatic robot rocket car. It feels like they've tried this before yeah. and it feels like they figured it out. That was like a good game as well. I had that game. I remember really? playing it. Yes, I did. I remember you and like four other people. I remember playing <laughs> that game for the reason that I love, because I love sports games, but I love goofy sports games. I love Mario, yes. Stryker, uh, Mario oh. Strikers. I fucking love that game. I love... Any game that takes the core mechanics of sports, but then does video game stuff with them. Sega Soccer Slam. Exactly. I love those type of games. And I remember reading the definition, like the definition. I remember reading the synopsis about this game on PSN because I only had a PlayStation 3 at the time. So I, I was downloading anything I could possibly get my hands on. And I remember reading it and I remember exactly where I was playing it. I was playing it in my friend's apartment in university. And I remember playing it. I remember the other guys were not interested in football. 
and they didn't quite get why I liked football and I liked games that, you know, simulated football. And I remember downloading it and I remember them being like, oh, what the fuck's this? And I was like, well, it's football, but with fucking cars. (laughs) So we played it and we had loads of fun. And I did remember. So I remember last year telling the people I was working with at the time, look, there's this game coming out and it's a sequel to this other game that no one played that was really, really good. I reckon it's going to be fucking great. And they're like, "Eh." and I wanted people to play with me, but no one played with me. And then all of a sudden, Rocket Ooh. League is huge. I know, and it exploded in, in ways that like people who never played football games before are like mm. mad at like the GameSpot offices. I mean, I'm, I work in an American office. Like Nobody there plays FIFA. Nobody there plays racing games. I'm the Project Cars and FIFA guy there. And so <laughs> this game is right up my alley, right on paper. Yeah. But, like, but it's nothing to do with racing, and it's nothing to do with, with, with football games. No, it's, it's, it's a, it, it has more in common with the real sport of football than it does either of those things. And they just they tr- the the field size the way the cars maneuver the way they interact with the ball all that stuff just is so perfectly fine tuned in a way that which could only have been done from a team which is crazy enough to not only try this ridiculous idea once but to t- try it twice that's why this game works and i think like i've enjoyed so much of this game in so many different ways i love playing online ranked stuff and i hate so much online play at the moment in in the world of video games but it just works great and the communication system they have is perfect i love playing it locally with friends i love playing it on lan with my with friends uh i love playing it uh, 1v1 with friends and i love i play it at home with my with my girlfriend who doesn't even like she doesn't play football games she hardly she hardly plays any games at all she yeah. she plays games like mario galaxy and like the sims and 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 weirdly enough she got really into tokyo jungle last year but uh, <laughs> like she doesn't certainly wouldn't play a game like fifa or madden or a racing yeah. game and this is a game that we play split screen all the time it's oh, just man. one of the best designed games in recent memory it's unique in 2016 which is something to be applauded in and of itself because games are are, are so often mm. s- stepping on common ground or on, on tra- trodden ground or and I think it's like it, you know, it's weird that some of these games are out in the late nineties that I have on on my list, and then I have this one which is like we went from World of Warcraft in two thousand and four to this in twenty fifteen. Yeah. But I genuinely think the Rocket League is one of the like I literally played it earlier today twice. I played it this morning and I played it at lunchtime. I keep playing this game. <laughs> I haven't played FIFA since like September. I play FIFA every year. Well, maybe October. I play. FIFA every year. I play PES every year. I love those games. I don't play them anymore. Like Rocket League is my FIFA. I when I have ten minutes, I used to pick up a you know do Arsenal Spurs and and try and beat try and yeah. beat the you know the crap Koi Spurs. <laughs> You're a yeah. big Arsenal fan, aren't you? Oh yeah. <laughs> but in this, like, I don't do it anymore. I just pick up Rocket League, and I think it's it's such a tremendous game. I think Sonics. I'm so happy that it was successful for them. The PlayStation Plus stuff, I think, actually really ha- helped them get word of mouth out there. Um, I play it on PC and on PlayStation 4. Yeah. Xbox version's out as well. Uh, well, I'll play you on PC anytime. Yeah, for sure. Let's yeah, do it. Let's do it's, it. It's, Absolutely. It's such a wonderful game. I think, yeah. I'm awful, but... Oh, really? I get those aerials, man. Once you get those aerials, you feel like God. Yeah, I was getting there. I was getting there. And then the people I was playing with, unfortunately, I left the country. So I kind of <laughs> did... And I, I purposely installed it on my laptop for playing it in the airport when i was moving to japan wow. right? and i played it loads it's a great game and i'm very happy for science i think it proves that originality still does work in the yes. industry and that games that have you know it's so well polished 
Its core mechanics all work extremely well, and there is nothing else like it. Yeah, totally. Hit the nail on the head. It's, uh, you know, and I think for it, for that to come out from such... I, I just love that they did this game before and it didn't work, and they went, fuck it, there's something here, we're going to yeah. do it again. And they were right. Like, how good must it feel to be a Sonics employee in 2016? <laughs> <laughs> like, we've now got Batman and Back to the Future DLC in this game. We've got, like, Halo cards. Halo wants to be yeah. in our game. How good must it feel for those guys? It must uh, be great, especially considering also it's grossed nearly $50 million yeah. as well. Which is wonderful, because I was worried for them when, when it was free on PlayStation Plus that maybe mm-hmm. that didn't work for them, but hey, man. Well, I remember PS- I remember it being free on PS Plus last year, but the servers being down because so many people were trying to download it. For sure. They weren't expecting it either. Uh, and they've done a great job of, of adding new content to it. The, yeah. the, the, well, the like, Batman car that was announced the other day looks fucking sweet. So it's great. They've added like they've had free maps. They've added paid for maps. They've added the the new the Rocket Lab stuff, which is cool. They yeah. did the snow day thing over Christmas. Like I've bought every single piece of DLC for that game, and I because I got it free on PlayStation Plus, and mm. like I'll buy, I'll I will buy every piece of DLC they they probably put out, and I can't wait to see where they go with this because I what a what a wonderful exciting like god it's like i hope it gets into esports levels of like skill because i would watch people play this game yeah well some of the highlights videos you can see on youtube are just crazy i don't even know how people do it it's amazing it's great so i almost won the the uh, the office pro-am where myself and julio in GameSpot came second uh sadly beaten by the um uh, chris Pereira, matt padgett our news folks (laughs) <laughs> in our in our online in our well it was mostly local they were online yeah in the final uh, it was amazing and even that like even the fact that we had like a, this crazy tournament in GameSpot, that's the amount of people that play this game in the office like it's, mm. it's incredible fun well, it's just a, a game anyone can pick up and play and then it's yeah. it reminds me of other games like super smash brothers party games that on the they're successful because the baseline level is so easy to grasp all you do is drive a car into a ball. I mean, how yeah. easy is that to understand? But then the more you go, the further you get, the the more you practice, there are just crazy physics things that you can do in that game. Yeah, and when you when, there's an amazing feeling when you're playing football, when the ball comes towards you and you, you move your leg and you want it to go somewhere. And when it does, yeah. when it goes there, it's 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 similar to like the the, the feedback you get off of variable ratio schedule in, in Destiny or Casino, <laughs> but it's it's something you did yourself. And Rocket League captures that in a way that that no other football game I think does. When you when you hit square and you hold it down the right amount for a free kick, maybe in FIFA, and it goes yeah. over the wall and it dips down, that feels really good when you nail those free kicks. Mm-hmm. Like in open play, a lot of the time it's like, oh well, it was Ronaldo, so it went in, or it was Henri, so it went in. I had to get an Arsenal one in there. Uh, but in Rocket League, <laughs> a it's... A good it's, Arsenal one as well. I know. Yeah. Uh, there aren't many of them, so... Oh, <laughs> Sanchez. Oh, Sanchez oh, is right. Yeah, that's true. Let's not talk about Shamak. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Crystal yeah, Palace yeah. can talk about Shamak instead. <laughs> <laughs> that was a terrible haircut. Sorry, <laughs> American guys. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Let's not talk about Giroud then. Um, yeah, so with Rocket League, just it's it's physics. There's no, there's no stats. There's no... You know, the hitboxes in the cars are slightly different, but... It's just physics. and That was just... also another thing that amazed me. There was no stats. And each car was basically the same. They had variable sizes. And that works to advantage and disadvantage. Yeah. But I mean, there was no stats. It was all flat. And it was all down to you. It's <laughs> like, it's almost... You think about, like, the amount of ways, Liam, that this game could have gone in crazy directions. In terms of that. In terms of, like, cars that do crazy things. Or in terms of, like, there's no power-ups. There's, well, there's one. There's, like, boost buttons. Yeah. 
But like, there's no weapons. Like, this could easily have gone in that direction so easily. Mm. But this is a team which had been making this game for so long and had been playing this game and had tried it once before. And they knew what where the nuance was. They knew that to add that stuff in with the take away from the game and what you said earlier is completely true it is not very easy to get that sweet spot of easy to play and difficult to master but rocket league is is that in a nutshell yeah it's a game you can play forever the replayability is there so on your island you can mm. play forever i know and i will <laughs> that's if you can get past the puzzle first <laughs> I'll, try. I'll try okay so we're gonna move on to your final game which you're gonna manipulate a little bit because I don't know if you're going to change it, which is something that's never happened before. Oh, but no. we're going to listen to some music, and I'll have to change the music depending on what game you stick with. <laughs> so let's listen to some music. Okay, Danny, so the final game on your list you originally put down was CD Projekt Red's masterful epic, The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. Yes, what a wonderful game. Came out last year, GameSpot's Game of the Year. GameSpot's Game of the Year, and more importantly, my Game of the Year as well. Yes, and and also mine as well. Ah. Similar. Yeah, which is an amazing game, but the... Man... It's like Sophie's Choice, Liam. The problem with these things is that like eight games over the course of my life, like all the games that I've left out, like Fallout, like like the Elder Scrolls series, like Monkey Island, like all of these unbelievable games. And then we were talking before about your previous job and then I suddenly realized, oh shit, like the most, maybe the most important series in terms of anything I've ever played. I don't even have one game on there. So I'm so, so sorry to Martian Avinsky and everyone that said they project Red I'm pulling Witcher 3 out. I'm, <gasps> dun, dun, dun. I'm going to have to replace it with uh, Grand Theft Auto 5. Okay, so let's quickly just talk about why The Witcher 3 is so great and why it did make this list originally. And then Ooh, I like that. I get it in there anyway. Yeah, I... you can't have it on the island. No, 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 no. This no is pro- locked behind a puzzle you will never complete. No problem. There's a bunch of those. Yeah. <laughs> well, I this is this is because it's not even on the island. <laughs> That's the puzzle. <laughs> yeah, float away. It's it's gone. It's it's on the rocket with destiny. I'm... Oh shit! I'm so sorry, Witcher Three. <laughs> oh. So let's just quickly talk for maybe one or two minutes about why The Witcher Three originally made it on your list, and then we'll talk about GTA Five. I mean, The Witcher Three. Uh... 
it does so many it, it's like best in class in a couple of different ways in a in a really interesting genre i mean the the, the role-playing game genre has is, has always been fascinating it's it's always pushed the limits of game design in in ways in which other games haven't it's about it's about being limitless yeah. which you know so many games are about having limits and with good reason like so many games are about understanding the limits and playing within them like a game like rocket league it's like the joy from that game is that you understand everything and you try and apply your knowledge to get the, the whatever requisite goal out of it well what rpgs what they thrive on is not knowing everything and witcher 3 is a game which sort of in 2016 it's so difficult to make a role-playing game be mysterious because for a role-playing game to be mysterious it needs to be so much bigger than what the game is you can't yeah. see the puppet strings in those games if you see the puppet strings they're not they don't feel like role-playing games anymore no. they they feel too easy so to keep that mystery and to keep that that sense of scale and to keep that sense of you know that you're having an impact on the world but you're not having all of the impact you want all of the time you really need to expand those games out in like several different directions and i think that's what the witcher does is that it does a lot of things which other games have done but it does them so much better and so much grander so like narratively it has these main quests which are you know full of these decisions but it has these secondary quests which not only are full of their own decisions but impact on the main quest and it has these yeah that's exactly what i was going to say is basically I think what makes The Witcher 3 so special is the fact that you had the main quest and they were so fully realized with the most incredible voice acting. and Great writing. Great uh, yeah, exactly. Absolutely superb writing. Uh, shout out to Stephen Rhodes, who is a, a cool guy on Twitter, who was one of the level quest designers for The Witcher 3. He's Wonderful. a cool guy. He's working on Homefront now. But anyway... Um, it was so fully realized in terms of like the graphics could portray these facial emotions, which worked yeah. with the voice acting. And then the performances were so good. And then you get to the second request and they're exactly the same. Yeah. They're on a smaller scale, but you truly believe. Some of them aren't like some of them. Some of the second requests are like way bigger than, than aspects of the, yeah. the main quest as well. Yeah. And then on top of those ones, you also have these like random tertiary, side quests which you know side quests for you know by definition almost don't impact on the main storyline some of these do and in ways that you wouldn't expect never telegraphed you'd never expect exactly so it 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 made this sort of this mesh this narrative mesh whereas usually in these games you're like oh this is the main thing these are other optional bits and then here's all the shit on the side that i probably won't do anyway and the witcher 3 made all of that stuff like almost you across the board entertaining yeah. or at least the possibility of entertaining you weren't surprised when a side quest ended up being four hours long and really fun yeah. whereas you in another game but also the importance within the rest of the world you couldn't tell at any stage so everything felt important and in a way and nothing felt important which was which was how life is is that you never know if you wake up an hour later if you're going to get hit by a car and you never know if you don't go to a party you're never going to meet the, the the man or woman of your, of your dreams so yeah. like in a way, it 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 sort of it it by adding that layer of complex. There's a certain layer of complexity which happens in game design, which after a certain threshold, people just they let themselves they give themselves over to the game. And World yeah. of Warcraft was like that, where there was so many moving parts that you couldn't ever really tell. Now you can because you know the moving parts because yeah. you've read about them because you've experienced them and you see those puppet strings. But for a game, a third-person action game in 2016 to be able to pull a hoodwink over people in the way The Witcher 3 did and also be really well-written, have 
incredible graphics, have wonderful like diversity in terms of its architecture, in terms of like the different, you know, environmental diversity that's there as well. Uh, and then also to have like a like I like the combat system a lot in it. Maybe it's not as as rigid and tight as Witcher Two is, but I I think it's amazing. And to do that, and then like, have you completed The Witcher Three? I have. Yes. Like the fucking last three hours. Like the endings of games in so often are are anticlimactic. Or like great game that came out last year, Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain, and it's a fucking disaster in terms of pacing. Like half the game's <laughs> finished, and you think you're finished, and then there's another half of the game, and it's like you're just repeating a bunch of quests. The Witcher Three, you think it's finished, and then there's this whole thing, and then like the last two hours of The Witcher Three it, are amazing. And most endings in games, they they just can't nail the finish. Yeah, definitely. Especially boss fights in a game which is mostly about narrative. Yeah. But fuck me, the last part of that game is just immaculate. Like, it's so well put together. And I just think from start to finish, The Witcher 3 was, like, what an amazing feat from a group of developers in, like, Poland. Like, it's not even like this EA or Activision. This is an independent game studio. And sure, they are not like small, but they're not that big either. Like I no. went there and I met those people. There's like, there's not that many people there. They localized that game for like 12 different languages. They they made this game, they poured their heart and soul into it. And it's also, aside from the fact that it's a good game, it's also like, it's them pushing out their culture into the world. Like the Witcher series is a Polish yeah. fantasy series, which is so much about aspects of, of, of historical and political life in Poland, which... It's it's so beautifully oligarchical, but and it's also like wonderfully European in which lots of games aren't, and it, it pulls like from so, so many different aspects of of culture as well. It's just like it's a it's you know we don't use the phrase tour de force very often in, in game reviews because it's rote and awful. But like yeah. Witcher Three is so good on so many levels that it it is exactly that. It's just a superb game, but it didn't make the list. <laughs> yes, I was gonna say okay. So now we've got the Witcher Three out of the way. <laughs> it's a, it's a fucking superb game, and I love and now it. Now I feel bad for having the Rocket Soccer game on there when I'm going on a <laughs> Witcher Three in a tour de force. <laughs> you had four four FPSs, no fantasy action RPGs, but no. but it's your list and it's your island. Yeah. So, and something that's never happened before, you've changed changed it, and you changed it to Grand Theft Auto Five. Yeah, they called Rockst- an autumn. Yeah, Rockstar's, you know, huge success. One of the biggest selling games of all time. Grossed so much money. It was epic beyond scale and had uh, an original release for the Xbox 360 and the PS3 in mm. 2013. And then later, PlayStation 4 and Xbox One ports, as well as a PC version that came later. Wonderful right. piece. Please tell me why you chose... Grand Theft Auto Five over The Witcher Three in the end. All right, this is gonna be this is very very personal. I don't expect this game to be on a lot of other people's lists necessarily, okay? Because this game has a lot of problems. This game has, and I think you you develop a lot of problems when you try to do so much. And GTA Five tries to do so much, and it does ninety five percent of it unbelievably well. Okay. Like there is a reason why years later, like. What was it? 2001, GTA 3 came out. So we're talking 15 years later. The open world role playing, the oh, sorry, the open world action game, which is arguably the biggest genre in the world, except for you know military first person shooters. This this massive behemoth of you know in terms of a marketplace for so many of these companies still only has one game in it. 
like Saints Row tried it. That was doing its own weird thing. Like we said earlier, like Infamous tries it, but it's a superhero thing, or there's games that are set in certain regions and whatnot. Yeah. The contemporary, you know, be it now or in the 80s or 90s or 2000s or, or whatever, the contemporary modern Western open world has never been done anything like what Rockstar managed to do out of a studio in Scotland. And the, re- the reason is, is because they do so much so perfectly well and we almost expect it of them. It's like GTA V is a great shooter. It's the best shooter GTA has ever been. It's a really fun driving game. It is a unbelievably well-realized open world. It is the best open world, I think, the best designed open world in the history of video games. It is a fantastic, like, approximation of Los Angeles in a way that, I mean, when this game came out, I was moving from London to uh, Northern California. So I was moving to San Francisco at the time. I now live in Oakland. And that game nails the West Coast of America in ways that no game I ever played has managed to capture the essence of a real world place. That game feels like Los Angeles. That game feels like California. That That game feels like Napa. It, it it feels like the dirty desert towns you you get onto when we drive down to E3 every year. It it like it it is such like everything from the sunsets. Like I didn't see sunsets like that until the first time I was in LA, and I was like, oh fuck, GTA. Okay, you guys got it. And I think maybe part of the reason why it works on that sort of touristy level is because this is a game made by you know people from the British Isles. And they're seeing America through that lens. So yeah. the things that stand out to us, like there's a weird thing over here. If you talk to Americans about yellow buses, they don't realize yellow buses are American. They think everyone has fucking yellow buses. And you're like, no, yellow buses are like one of the most American things in the world. They're up there with like fucking cheesesteaks and bald eagles. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> they don't know that. So like we know that because of our, the lens that we, we see America through. And perhaps I think part of the reason why I love GTA and I my favorite GTAs I love GTA 4 but my favorite GTAs are San Andreas and GTA 5 yeah. and I think the reason for that is because I am somebody who grew up on the British Isles who has had this dream of living in California for most of their lives and these games were the ultimate escape to that future yeah. and if games are anything they're an escape from our reality into realities that we want to explore and have fun in and when GTA 5 came out, I was literally on the cusp of moving from London to Northern California. And that game came out. And I played it for two months. And then I moved here. And it was like the most beautiful, like, it was like dipping my toe in my future life. I was going to say, that, was it like a preparation for you to move? Yeah, like when, when, when we did our Game of the Year awards that year, I literally said in, in my write-up that I hadn't played grand theft auto since i moved over and i have now because it's coming on pc and everything but like that's how effective that game was for me was like it felt like where i was moving and when i moved here it felt like here like when you're walking around the streets of of los santos in the evening and the sun is setting or you're you're wandering around and you're seeing like the types of cars or you're like seeing all like the diversity in the people or any of those things like that's what it feels like walking around here and then on top of that like in terms of just pure need to get really boring and bring it back to mechanics like they they figured out a problem that GTA had with Trevor, which was that like it's a game about f- the, the like narrative distance in that game. When you make a game that's not realistic, and then you have the body count that most games have, it's gonna stick out a little bit more. And I yeah. think they solved some of that with the Trevor stuff. I do think like it's problematic in terms of 
like it is a game that tries to do pastiche and sometimes it does it well and sometimes it, it it's it's not clever enough to pull it off and it ends up just being a little bit too offensive um but i i i applaud what they try to do i think that having these three characters like what fucking game did that like name me another game that has three protagonists okay like that's <laughs> like or like yeah i'm sure there's one somewhere but like imagine like name it like a massive blockbuster game that tries to do that and like you're like you're google mapsing into other people's bodies and when you do they're like waking up in weird places and but that's like the thing the... even if you can think of another game that has multiple protagonists mm. those stories never come together they're two they're two separate stories that maybe have a final level where those stories hit each other but with five all the protagonists on multiple occasions were clashing the stories were coming together and you had to it was crazy yeah and like they're moving in and out of each other and you were you were exploring one character and then you were enjoying going to the other one and doing their missions and yeah like you know there's always games like broken age which do what you're talking about which is like yeah. they're separate and it's all together but like yeah like it it just it really i think nailed it did something completely new again, which is like hot swapping between different characters and, and setting the pace of the narrative yourself. And on top of that, I really think the online stuff is tremendous. And it, it still has a bunch of people playing it. And I think... Oh, lots. <laughs> it still oh, has right? lots like, of people I playing mean, it. They add like new content to it every week. Like it's... And I, I feel like Rockstar maybe has to do a better job of... I don't know what it is. They just haven't nailed getting... Maybe it's because they're too big a, big a, a company and they've got too many people behind it they don't have that the sort of gra- grassroots indie breakthrough shit that happens with like MOBAs and games like Rocket League so you know maybe it just falls too much into the Call of Duty era where people expect of it but they have an amazing community around that game and they've done a really good job of adding content to it and even though people who are outside of that don't understand how exciting it is whenever I boot into that into GTA Online there's so much going on and there's so much interesting stuff in terms of like the levels you do or the debt match stuff but then in terms of like just like buying property and like it's just a fun like i don't think they nailed it the online aspect of it but they've done so much cool shit in there that i think it also should be recognized and then on pc that game just looks like unbelievable and then they went hey guess what right okay we're rockstar okay we're gonna grant the thought you've heard of probably right biggest franchises biggest entertainment property probably in the world at this stage so we're gonna pour it onto pc it's gonna look really great and everyone's gonna be fine with that and they're gonna take screenshots and they're gonna love it guess what we made it first person (laughs) they didn't need to do that they did not need to make that game first person and when you play that game first person it like fundamentally changes your relationship with that world in like in a way that series hadn't done since it went from two to three since it went from 2D to 3D, which is arguably the most impressive 2D to 3D transition in the history of video games. I mean, that that series went from like a niche, weird title like Hotline Miami to the biggest entertainment property in the world in the space of one game because they changed, because they nailed 3D. Yeah. But when you play that game in first person, man, that game is fucking insane. It's like on PC, it's like so realistic. Like the violence is so much more brutal in like this kind of upsetting way and i just love that they did it because it because like, it, it goes back to what we were talking about before unreal tournament's a game that they tried things and they threw shit at the wall and they saw what stick and so much of modern AAA blockbuster video games is doing the same bullshit every time gta comes out gta 4 gta 5 the uninitiated the people who like to criticize those games because they're popular they'll say it's the same thing man it's a game that like added all this like crazy like triple protagonist 
aspect to it. And then when they were making a simple PC port that was going to sell no matter what, they went and added a whole first person, you know, way to play the game. Like I, I really think Rockstar are really doing some some of the most important work in the current like video game time that we find ourselves in. I mean, I can't wait for them to get back to Red Dead Redemption, but in the meantime, GTA Five is just like a tremendous achieve. What an achievement! What a great achievement! And the things it does wrong, you know, we can forgive them for that because it's just one of the most wonderfully crafted game worlds and and action experiences in the history of video games. Yeah. So, do you reckon you could play it on an island for you know the rest of your life? Is that Definitely. kind? Of- yeah. Do you know how much fun it is to knock people down that game and and watch them like get up again? <laughs> so much fun i could do that forever man when they added the fat people to gta 4 I, that's all i did for like a week <laughs> gta 5 is just like gta 5 like give me the cheats give me the cheats and i'll just do whatever the hell i want i mean with the online stuff i'd be happy doing that as well and then you can mod it yes yes you can I mean, Wait, t- tell me though tell me since you moved to california and you've played gta yeah. 5 uh the people in real california because i have not been to california are people in real California at least not like the NPCs in GTA Five, who are the most crude and disgusting human beings alive? I mean, it's uh, in LA, yeah. Like it, they've nailed LA in that it's just it's it's glamorous people talking very loudly on their phones and not caring about anyone else, and people driving fancy cars with the top down so they can have everyone look at them. And like, it, I have a I have a buddy who lives in Hollywood and 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 around Echo Park actually just moved to, and like it really feels like that like it, it's not like san francisco or oakland i don't think but it definitely has that like very los angeles feel and uh, los santos does and then yeah like the sort of weird hillbilly desert folk that live <laughs> on the <laughs> out in blaine county yeah yeah exactly that's like that's very uh, that's very accurate and then yeah americans love hiking and if there's one thing we saw in we used to just say we i think in, in ireland we just, just call it going on a walk but they 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 put on special shoes and special clothes whenever they walk anywhere up a mountain. Like that's like so much of the 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 tertiary life of of the people outside of uh, like I mean, like if you were to populate California with English and Irish people, we just fucking stay in all day. Like you know, like Americans are just like especially in the West Coast, they're so unbelievably full of life in a way that they are in GTA, which almost feels fake, but it's actually real when you move. Uh-huh, like they're just like okay. they're out the whole time and they're doing it and they're meeting people and they're talking loud and they're 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 experiencing it and i uh, like I, yeah and it it's such a one it, it like i said it may not be the most accurate representation of, of west coast life but it is the perfect lens through which folks from from europe view america yeah definitely fantastic oh what a what a uh, I think this has been the most personal list so far. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, well, I think a, l- a lot of other of my guests have chosen games that they obviously have nostalgia for, but they've thought about the aspect of being on an island a bit too much, maybe. And they've chosen games that they could replay for, you know, forever. Games. Well, that maybe I'm been. just a massive narcissist and I just wanted to talk, <laughs> talk about it. <laughs> well, I think that's what's been so great about this episode, so it's such a personal list and you can obviously see where your inspirations come from and the passion you have from video games is developed over the times you've played these games yeah and i mean like eight is tough like there's so many other games that are worth mentioning there's there's so many games which which do really small things important and there's so many games that do lots of things quite well which are so much fun to play and like we're so lucky like 
there were so many cool games coming out when I was a, a young boy, and then when I was a teenager, there was there was more games coming out, and then as I went to college, there were even more games coming out. And I mean, it is quite frankly ridiculous that we are almost at the end of. So we're like, you know, we're into March at this stage, and we've had two months, and there has been just this massive bounty of incredible games to play already. There has never been a more fun time to be a gamer and i think what's interesting about that is that we're going to if you if you're doing this podcast in like 15 years and you interview some 25 year old who's been playing games you know since since 2016 the amount of games that are available to play now they'll never go back like there's no point like why would they go back and play old games like old games are lost to time we're already at that stage the only people who are going to play these games are folks who have already played them when they were young and played it again for nostalgia's sake. Yeah. And games yeah. aren't like music and movies where you can go and pick them up and give them a go. And so what's going to happen is that so many of these games, which we know are like, critically important for the history of video games, they are going to be lost to time because th- that mass amount of people just won't go back and play them. Well, then so, our responsibility is people like yourself and I creating this podcast to make sure people know about these games. Exactly, and to at least let them know that these games existed and that you know they don't need to go back and go through the rigmarole of installing them and spending you know all this time trying to play them. $150 on eBay trying to get copies of them. <laughs> right, or in the case of World of Warcraft, impossible. You can't A go legacy back. legacy connection. <laughs> Even if you went back and played WoW now, it wouldn't be the same thing, right? Yeah, no. When I was in 2004. So, like, yeah, this this sort of stuff is fun for that reason, I think. And I, and I think that's to be celebrated as the fact that we have such an incredible amount of interesting things happening in games today it's we're, we're so lucky we're so lucky we could be <laughs> film critics we could be music critics which are you know just not having the same sort of renaissance that video games are having right no. now yeah so it's a great time to be to be to be a gamer okay fantastic okay danny so the last question on all right ask my guests is if you could choose any console, one console, the mm. whole back catalog included, what would you choose? Uh, that door creak added such a good effect. Yeah, did you, did you like the door creak? That was pretty good. That was fantastic. That was you. You knew that it was coming. I know that was definitely me doing that. Yeah. So, Danny, what would you choose as your back catalog? The I'm one console. It- so I can't pick PC, is that what you're telling me? Well, PC would be a problem because as I spoke with Samuel <laughs> Roberts, you wouldn't be able to upgrade it. So you'd be oh. stuck with games up to that period. I mean, you can't upgrade a console either, so... No, but yeah. that's very true. That's very true. That's very true. I never thought about that. God damn it. You so found I, a loophole. Okay, so I, I'd go with... First answer is I go with PC, but if I'm go- if I'm going, I would go with a modern PC because then I could play whatever the fuck I wanted and go on GOG.com and have a Steam Press account. Maybe that'll be fun to have, and then whatever I wanted. But if, if I was talking about a console itself, I mean Amiga's fun, but I don't want to be doing all that loading yeah. anymore. Uh, I wasn't, re- I didn't really grow up in Nintendo. I like my Mega Drive, but that doesn't really work. So you know, there wasn't too much on there. I think it's a God. It's either the Xbox 360 or the PlayStation 2. Because PS2, it's just so many classic. Yeah, well, the, the back catalog for the PlayStation 2 is just huge. Yeah, it speaks for itself. I think there's so many games on that that I also didn't play. So, like, I, I always wanted to go back and play Final Fantasy VII and, like, there's a bunch of other games I know I didn't play because I got a PS2 really late. Yeah. It's also got all the Grand Theft Autos on it. Um, <laughs> but I think, I don't know. I think if I was to pick one, 
this is really strange to say, but outside of the PC, I would probably pick the Xbox 360. I think it had a an unbelievable amount of great AAA games, uh, genre defining games, some you know games like Gears of War and some great classics like Grand Theft Auto. It had some wonderful FIFA games, yeah. and it also saw the rebirth of indie with 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 wonderful stuff like yeah. Braid and Super Meat Boy and, and whatnot. And it was it it was a a console that said it was going to be around for as long as it was, and it was. And yeah, I think it's a very safe bet. I think it's a very good choice in the Xbox yeah, 360. Right. The the variety <laughs> of games you had on it, as well as you know the multiplayer. The Xbox 360 was almost like the birth yes. of modern multiplayer. For sure. So way more than the first Xbox. So yeah, yeah. probably 360. Yeah, although but really PC. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Danny, I want to thank you so much for coming on. You are the person I instantly thought of when I thought of this show. And you are so passionate about video games and I couldn't ask for a better guest. So thank you so much for appearing on the show today. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. And it's always a pleasure talking to you. And I, I'm looking forward to listening to future episodes of this as well. Yeah. Uh, and we'll have such, to play some Rocket a... League as well. <laughs> Absolutely. PC. <laughs> so could you please tell people where they can find you and what you are, want people to check out? Sure. Uh, at Daniel Dyer on Twitter is the usual way to get uh, most of my stuff. I just tweet about it. Uh, GameSpot.com for the point in the lobby. And I also do a bunch of stuff on my own personal YouTube channel on Twitch, which are, again, Danny O'Dwyer. There aren't many Danny O'Dwyers in the world, so if you just throw that in Google, usually all that shit pops up. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> so thank you very much for listening to the seventh episode, sixth episode. God, I've lost track today. Um, thank you for listening to this episode of Final Games. You can find me on Twitter at LiamBME, and you can find the show at Final Games Show. I also make videos like Danny, not as good, but you can still check them out if you're interested at www.youtube.com forward slash C forward slash got rare. And if you want to email the podcast, you can email us at finalgamespodcast at gmail.com. We're on iTunes and SoundCloud, so please rate us if you like this show because it helps. So thank you very much for joining us again, and I hope you'll join us next time. Thank you to Danny. And goodbye.